Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. What's up, Gypsy gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast with none other than Australian super black legend Troy Herfoss. I've actually been riding with Troy out at QMP a little bit lately, and I tell you what, the dude absolutely rips. Uh, he drops a little bit of a bombshell on us about doing some motocross racing, which is cool. Um, but we are at the track the other day, we were bench racing, and uh, I said, you know what, we should do some bench racing on the podcast. Uh, he's only just up the road, so we finally made it happen, and uh, this one is a really cool episode. Before we get into the show though just a quick word from some of our sponsors and this episode is brought to you by the team at athletic greens athletic greens ag1 is the first port of call for me each and every morning and in my experience this is easily the healthiest habit that you can form uh, and it takes just under a minute of your day each day now there's a couple of reasons why i like using ag1 Actually, I love using AG1. Firstly, doing it habitually every morning sets me in the right path with my health. Not only is it amazing for my body, but mentally I know that before I've done anything else in the morning, I'm already kind of on the path that I want to be on. Secondly, to get the same nutritional benefits by using separate vitamins would not only take a crazy amount of time, but I'm probably not smart enough to actually source all of the ingredients that AG1 packs into their formula. AG1 is a one scoop formula that you mix with between 8 to 12 ounces of water and you're done. That's it. And it has been a part of millions of mornings since 2010. Not only that, I really enjoy the taste of it as well. Now, since using AG1 on a consistent basis, I've noticed a massive change for the better on my overall gut health and digestion. I would feel bloated after eating big meals and this left me feeling tired and lethargic. And I've also noticed a difference in my energy levels and I seem to be able to maintain a more consistent level throughout each day. On top of that, I can notice a difference in my skin, hair and nails. And let's face it, I'm not getting any younger. Maybe the best part about working with the team at Athletic Green so far in 2023 is that it has been helping the Gypsy Gang as well. I've had a bunch of messages from people who started using AG1 after listening to the show and they've all had their own success stories and it's been really cool to hear. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. 
go to athleticgreens.com slash gypsytales. Now you must use the link. This isn't a code. That link is athleticgreens.com slash gypsytales. We're also brought to you by the guys and the girls at the unbelievably good fist handwear. I have been putting in a bunch of motos lately uh, and I did the unthinkable the other day. Did a moto in a pair of other gloves because I ripped my fist gloves in a weird collision with a uh, some desert foliage and I had to switch gloves and I got the worst blisters I've ever got in my life. And look, it's not very often that I'll wear another glove, but when I do, it just makes me realize how lucky I am to have been wearing fist handwear for over 10 years now. If you have never tried fist gloves, I suggest that you go to the website and go to fisthandwear.com, use the code GYPSYGANG, you're going to get 15% off, but you are also going to get the most unbelievable riding experience of your life when it comes to gripping onto your handlebars, whether it's BMX, whether it's mountain bikes, whether it's moto, but they're called fist handwear for a reason. It's because they make the best handwear in the game. We're also brought to you by the guys at Tropical Auto Group. Uh, and if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, then you can't buy anything without picking up the phone and calling Kyle. Kyle has been keeping us moving for the past three years and countless other members of the Gypsy Gang. Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton stock Ford, Mitzi, Kia, Isuzu and Great Wall. And for the last 12 months, we've been wheeling that new D-Max. If you're looking for a new ute for work or play, I cannot recommend that rig enough. We've driven it from Melbourne to Cape York and it's safe to say she has passed the test. Head to tropicalautogroup.com.au and make sure you ask for Kyle. That's it for me and the ads. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, if you want to get these podcasts early and without the ads, you can head to gypsytales.com and join our membership site. You will get a link to a private RSS feed where this podcast has been up for over a week. There's a podcast up there right now with Jeff Emig. There's a podcast there with Anton Wass and MotoGP star Sete Gibbonier. Much more coming in the, uh, in the next few weeks. So once again, thank you all for listening. Stay tuned and uh, see you on the next one. It's on his bike in Europe. It would have been maybe three years ago, I reckon. Yeah, because yeah. he's got... I think Millsy bought him a set for his fucking bike in Europe how's oh yeah, actually okay. it's here yeah right yeah that's that's the stuff I got straight from fucking straight yeah. from Japan so what you got some coming yeah I think Lee Hogan's renting us some oh. stuff I don't know who who's supposed to rent it to me but anyway Dion just messaged me that day I seen you actually yeah. with a photo I'm like ooh <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah I'm like skitsing are we recording yeah, I'm uh, I'm skitzing to to get it in. So I I got it from I got it from Japan and I've had it here for like I think I yeah, I got it like two Saturdays ago. And then I've got to like get all the we've got to make some content and stuff with it. Yeah. So I've got to get all photos and everything before I put it in my bike cuz then it'll get dirty yeah. and like ruin it. And I got some extra triple clamps coming for it. That's that's the next on my shopping list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, like do you need clamps? I don't need I don't need anything, but, but you, I, I, that's yeah. what I really want. Yeah, because yeah. you're so Troy Troy Herfuss is on the podcast. Everybody, um, so you 
is that your Honda or like they just give it to you like you can put parts and stuff on it or what's the deal with it? Yeah, so I've been I'm Honda Honda Australia. I've been for ten years and they send me a bike each year and and um, most of the time I don't use it much. But um, I've been bitten by not at the moment. Bug. I'm I'm all in at the moment. So this is my second one for the year now and um. Yeah, it's a bit of a grey area. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with it. Yeah, triple clamps are sweet though. You can put them on and off pretty easy. Yeah, I've I, I've been just buying a few. I mean, MX stores two right from there, home, yeah. and it's like Wonderland for a motocross rider. Yeah. So every every other day, I'm down there buying something I don't need. Yeah. Foot pegs and yeah. The triple clamps goes in that next bracket where I got to. It's like a little the, bit more of a serious commitment. Yeah, it's got a the finance has got to be approved by by the better half and yeah yeah so triple clans clutch all that kind of stuff i i said when i started doing the motocross stuff to emily my wife i'm like i just get stuff i need yeah that's all yeah and it, me too, exhaust me and, too. <laughs> yeah yeah now it's just getting out of hand but now now down my boss's he's an all-in sort of guy all yeah. or nothing sort of guy and um they were sort of i was talking about motocross a bit and and uh, he was just playing off here yeah, yeah whatever yeah sure, sure you will has he seen you ride no he hasn't seen me ride yet and i he just sort of rings me and asks me how I'm going and and then yeah it was a message the other night so are you are you keen like what you're talking about this motocross thing are you gonna do it or what and I said look I, I really want to tick the box before I finish racing yeah and he said right well, well we're not doing it in halves then and yeah. then a few days later I get this suspension a photo of this show aked suspension I'm like oh I really I kind of want to just go there in my van, camp, yeah, get my not, bus kicked, yeah, 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 enjoy the experience, yeah, um, get on the start grid, and then when we start bolting that kind of stuff in, and the yeah. expectations start to like creep yeah. up a little bit, and then there's like pressure and all that sort of shit starts coming into play. Yeah. But you're not gonna, you're probably not gonna be able to go to it. So Troy's talking about racing a national at QMP. Is QMP the round you reckon you do? Yeah, that's what I do. When is it? Uh, August thirteenth. It just like the the gods have allowed it to happen. Like it's we we race our our fifth round in July, I think it is, at Morgan Park. Yeah. And then it's like a huge break. Yeah. In in the past, I've gone to the ADISA in Japan and done a bit of riding. But there's always a big break, so we don't ride again until like October. Yeah. So it's if I'm gonna do it, I'm I'm 36 years old. I've I've been wanting to do a motocross. I'm in my prime. Yeah. But I've got not much time left really yeah so while i'm still full time and able to ride a lot i feel like i should go and tick the box and yeah at the moment it's helping the road racing a lot so that's the kind of that's the way i'm selling it to people who care to ask yeah 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 do you do you find how do you find the front end on the honda so for me it's been seven years since i rode motocross properly so you probably don't have too much of like no. a gauge to go off no i've got my my 2011 suzuki was my RMZ450. That was a that was a good bike. That yeah. had a good front end on it. Still current. Yeah, still current. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, then I had a 15 Honda, and I I only raced a bit of dirt track on that. And then yeah. I've done the odd like the Trobalas Classic dirt track event was on for a few years, but I'd always ride a friend's bike. And yeah, um, you haven't done a lot, but for me the bike feels great. Um, sent the suspension down to cruise tune and yeah, didn't even ride the bike first time in seven years. Suspension straight out. Have to get that done. Yeah. Don't know how I'm going to ride yet, but I'll make sure I've got good suspension. And, yeah, um, well, apparently know. the a 24 mil offset clamps like really helps the like the yeah. Honda. So that that's what on. I've been I've been googling and reading, yeah. and yeah, that's what I've yeah. It's just it's that like I said, it's that next price bracket. Yeah, I can go to the next door and drop 
you know, 50, I'll see if I can get you bucks. like a, a good price on some extrigs because I, I know Chad Talbot, he's the guy yeah. that does extrig and all this. I feel like he'd probably do something for you. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can get you on the program. Yeah, well, I've had no experience with that kind of stuff because yeah. I've raced in an Australian Superbike forever and it's super basic rules. I've never changed a triple claim in my life. Yeah, uh, right. Links, all that kind of stuff's really standard. Yeah. So I've gone and I got a cruise tune link and yeah. now I want the triple clamps just because I can change it. And oh, you got to though. Like, cause yeah. that's what, that's what it is for me. Like I love doing builds like you saw my 350 the other day. Like yeah. it's just got everything on it, but that's what I like doing. When I was a kid, I dreamed of that shit. I dreamed of having all the nice stuff and the yeah. sick bike and my bike was just the biggest piece of shit. Yeah. So you're, now, from the, you're from the country as well. Cans. Yeah. Cans. Yeah. 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 So like, you just like, there was some kids had dope shit. Yeah. You know, like anodized wheels and all the carbon pipe. Like we just didn't have any of it. So now I'm just reliving. Yeah. I'm like living out my childhood dreams essentially. Yeah. I don't need any of the shit that I get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I first started racing, sort of like in teams and stuff, I'd always, it was never motocross, always supermoto road yeah. racing. But I always had a motocross bike and you know, I had this mate in Goulburn, Matty Kelly, his name was, he's, a, he's probably uh, 10, 12 years older than me. I was only 18, 19. I was riding a Husky and it was always just standard. I'd, yeah. I'd mismatch gear, whatever I could get. The Paul Feeney would get me a, a helmet off such and such and a yeah. set of boots off them. And, yeah. But Matty always had... The like, gear. Pretty much whatever Chad Reed had, he had. He yeah, had 28 yeah, yeah. Bike, instead of a 22. That was it. Yeah. And um, and I used to always, I used to always think, man, he's got the coolest shit. And um, and now I'm probably the age. Well, I'm older than he was when he was robbing me, but I just feel like I'm doing that now. I, I yeah. just want to have the cool stuff. Yeah. I don't yeah. need any of that stuff, but yeah, because yeah, I'm in a position where I can have cool stuff. I just want to do it, go yeah. and ride, and enjoy 100%. it. Hundred percent. He who dies with the most toys wins. That's right. Yeah. But I mean, that's half the fun for me. I mean, it's like figuring out the what works, what makes shit better. You know, because it's all relative, right? Like, I mean. I, at one point I'm like going as fast as I can go and then if you do something to make your bike a little bit better you can go a little bit fast. it's just finding the yeah. it's just a game you know like we do it for a hobby yeah 100% and when you've been in a position like, like we have you've ridden a lot of different motorbikes in your time and, and coming from where I've come from on the super, super bike the smallest changes make the biggest differences and I know that's you know for us on motocross bikes there's probably bigger games to be had than I do having a super bike but yeah there is easy free time out there. Yeah. So, yeah, why not have it? Especially if I'm going to dive into a, an Australian Championship motocross race. Yeah. If anyone needs a bit of free speed, it's going to be the guy trying to get his knee down. Yeah. In turn yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, you've ripped on a on a moto when you. So, Maddie, a couple of weeks ago, Maddie was like, I think I was still in Dubai, and he's like, man, I, I rode with Troy Earphus today. And I was like, really? How'd he go? And I'm like, he probably rides pretty good because I, I rode with Casey probably like 12 months. It would have been 12 months ago now. Yeah. And like, he was ripping. And, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, so I bet he rips. He goes, bro, he fucking smoked me. And Matt <laughs> is actually fast. Like, Matt, Matt's done nationals before. Yeah, right. And, uh, and then you were at the QMP the other day yeah. and you blew my doors I, off. And I'm, I was like, what the, who the fuck is that? Yeah, I'm about, I think, 10 weeks straight two days a week out on that same track so yeah yeah, bit, yeah. Bit of home knowledge you're dialed in yeah. at this point yeah but yeah so i actually think that by the time that national rolls around especially if like the bike's getting dialed i don't think your fitness is going to be a problem but i'd say you actually could probably do pretty good yeah i hope i, I don't know where I, I sit um but i just i love doing things 
to my best. You yeah, know, yeah. My dad always joked when I was a kid, don't be don't be good at everything, be great at one thing. Yeah. But honestly, it's so much fun being able to dabble in different sports. So I just want to go and you want to do stuff at a high level. Well, I do anyway. Well, if yeah. I go and do it, I want to go and do it as good as I can. Yeah. And um, I've got a lot of respect for all them Australian motocross riders. And I'm not under the illusion that I could have been a motocross rider or I want to be a motocross rider. I just have respect for people that do things at a high level. Yeah. And if I've got an opportunity to do that, then I'm going to have a go. Whether yeah. I, whether I'm 10th, 20th, 30th, or, you know, don't qualify, I don't care. I'm just going to get out there in my van and, and rock up and just do it for a bit of fun. Because I, I think this whole motocross thing's like it's brought back a lot of passion for, for me. Like that's a hundred percent the reason to do it. Yeah. And I, I'm 36. I'm, you know, I'm at that stage of your career where people start to either fall away or, yeah. or they just stop racing. And it's not a fitness thing or an age thing. It's a passion thing. And, um, I've had a couple of years where I've been sort of not at my best and I've been injured and it's been, I wouldn't say all unenjoyable, but there's been a lot of times in the last eight months. Where you're just months. in the grind. Yeah, I'm yeah. rocking up and everyone's wondering when I'm going to return to the speed I had. And it sucks a lot of fun out of it. Um, when I rocked up at the motocross track, went out with my, my, my wife, Emily, had never seen me ride motocross. My two-year-old's there. They didn't know or care how fast I was going. And when I was tired, I packed up and went home. Yeah, It yeah, was great. Yeah, yeah. And then, so now I'm sort of enjoying that. I actually want to be at the road race track more than I did. So I think it's reigniting a bit of passion. So the risk to reward factor of riding motocross as training for a road racer, the the reward is outweighing the risk at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it works for Millsy. Yeah. I mean, he... Because I think that's one of the shit parts about being a road racer is that there's only so many track days that you can do. There's only so many, you know, test sessions that you can do. Most of the time, you just... Like, that's why so many guys are into cycling. Obviously, you're into cycling as well. Yeah. But, you know, like the Polo Spargo, all those guys there, uh, and Aleish, like, they're all crazy into ro- road cycles, Binder, like, because what the fuck else are you going to do? You that's know, right. like, you're just yeah. on the road, you know, like, you, you can't cross train in the same way. Like, motocross guys, they just pound out moto after moto after moto. Yeah. So, you know, it's a way of just, like, staying engaged, staying in it. Like, you, you would feel the that max speed like it's when you're hooking down a, a first straight and then you're like breaking going into like you know like the first turn at qmp like the yeah. same feels are there like you're exactly. going too fast you need to hit the brakes like yeah you're just not getting that you know in other places so to me it makes a lot of sense you've just got to be cognizant of like the injury side but at the end of the day you can fucking get hurt doing anything yeah i've had a lot of bad crashes on my Cycle bike, too. Yeah, so yeah. yeah and i think the the motocross bike it's like you're in control of being out of control yeah. like what 50 times a day at, at qmp yeah especially yeah, yeah. for you and i you know like yeah, maybe the yeah. top guys are a bit less but and then but then on the super bike it, it is that way but you're not really out of control a lot because the track's yeah. always the same yeah. the tires are the same and that isn't the you know them variables like motocross it's more like incremental the way that you push right yeah and it's super it's it's super hard but it's a different kind of thing and i think the motocross bike being out of your comfort zone a lot it's just made it easier to go to the road race track and just get straight to speed yeah because i always joke about it imagine if say an australian superbike rider we race seven or eight rounds a year there's not a lot there's no private testing there's a few track maybe say three or four times a month at best, you'll ride a bike. Imagine if I, say, could just go and ride 
every day. Yeah. At, at Phillip Island on my superbike. Yeah. I would smoke everyone. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like a football player just not training and yeah. then going and play the state of origin. They last two seconds. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they train every day. So I think, yeah, the more we can ride motorbikes, that's why you see these guys riding the Avali bikes, the small yeah. ones. And, yeah, like I'm sure Jack's riding a lot more than we know. It's probably on something of some sport i'm not sure i don't i don't you don't get to follow them guys that closely but i'm sure they ride some kind of motorbike a fair bit he's just moto yeah. moto's the shit out of it and like he they ride a valets a bunch like yeah. we went to when we were in barcelona literally a year ago actually we were in barcelona and uh we did a day with, with like him and binder and a couple of other dudes we're on a valets but yeah mostly it's like motorbike like motocross a valet and uh and then i think occasionally just like a normal road bike but i don't even think kdm really has a bike for him to yeah to like they don't really have a super bike do they no i'm sure it'd be like a yeah it'd be like a 300 style like a 390 or something yeah yeah but like yeah so he's just full motor loves it yeah. but i'm sure a lot of those no, i'd guys, love to like, see him imagine if he could do what i, what dude, I want to do like i know he would for when sure. jack retires me and my brother were saying this the other day he's gonna be the biggest fucking bogan motocross racer in australia like he's gonna do every mx national vet nationals yeah. every flat track like i think he just did a flat track on the weekend at, at home like yeah. there's actually not a dude i've ever met that likes riding more than him yeah i i'm i'm positive for that i, I haven't i haven't met anyone that sort of just in his situation like yeah. and he just he's happy just to park the ego and yeah. just go and have a race yeah. like he does not care one bit it's so good well that's like the bend like yeah. he's going there knowing that he's pretty much not gonna win and he yeah. just doesn't give a fuck he and like he's was, not even allowed to have the exact same motorbike as the other ducati guys yeah, or whatever. no data no yeah. nothing he pretty much has to just ride a stock bike yeah i remember just in covid playing playing cod with him and cookie him and hooky and they're asking about tires and yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. there's no real planning and preparation yeah just let's get all the stuff together we need and oh we use yeah that compound tire will do yeah i'll bring that one like People probably think it's it's a fairly calculated manoeuvre he's making, but it's just rocking up and just literally loves racing that much. Yeah, just wants to go and have a crack. Yeah, and you can see the whole motocross thing when he rolls out of pit lane. Like I was the first year I'd done it, um, like I was injured and and he that was the first time I got to race him. And half the reason I wanted to be there was like, uh, yeah, I was going for a championship, but I know I was so injured I could barely even walk probably. But I was like, oh well, Jack's here. Yeah, there's a lot of good riders. It won't happen again. It'll happen once and then, you know, something will go wrong and they won't come back again. Yeah. But anyway, I remember rolling out of pit lane and like, I think he must have come past me on the straight the first time or whatever and off the off the last turn and just comes into turn one and it is like full lock sideways off the end of the straight. Lucky there's a bit of runoff yeah, back on. Yeah, yeah, Didn't even look back to see if anyone was coming, just straight into it. Like, and that's where I think, because he's riding motocross, probably come off a season as well. Just nothing, seen, nothing faces them guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, he's not. I actually did a lap with him on the back. Yeah, at that uh, the first year that he did it, and like, bro, it was psycho. And yeah. that we went deep in turn one, same deal. Like, yeah. barely, barely pulled it up. I think he said we did two eighty seven. Yeah, down the start straight. You would have felt every kilometer of that too. Oh man, I just like let go at one point. I was just like, <laughs> not not physically, yeah, just yeah. like mentally of life. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, 
whatever. And he like looked back at me before we took off and he goes, I'm fully prepared to crash. <laughs> we were the last. He was yeah. like, you're going to go last. Yeah. Everyone else from Ducati's like already had their turn. Make sure you're he's going up to speed. Like, Oh, bro. Like, man, you know that you got like that triple apex right hander? Yeah. One leg come off and yeah. it's like legs hitting the ground and the thing's like wobbling. It's on the back wheel the entire way up that next hill. I was just yeah. going, this is a fucking lot, bro. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot. He just loves it. Just yeah. down to send. Yeah, yeah, it's a good part. It's a good place to be. Did you race him again this year? Yeah. At the, did, so, did, were you there the first year, or was that the year you were hurt? So I was there. So yeah, I, I got injured, and, and then COVID broke out again. Yeah. And I actually didn't miss a round, so I, I sat at home. I was fairly banged up, but yeah, I ended up trying to race. He raced that one. Yeah. And then, um, then last year, I actually, I actually had my first win since the accident, um, in race one. Oh, Bend, so. sick. Yeah. Got to beat Jack Miller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's such a sick track, isn't it? Oh, mate, unreal. Yeah. It was, it's just like, it's like, what's it doing out there? Yeah. Like, it's full GP spec. Like, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Crazy. I mean, uh, it's not that I've been to like that many other tracks in Australia. Like, yeah. But Phillip Island, that, like I, ro- I rode a track day at Phillip Island and then obviously did the lap at the bend with jack but yeah that's the same like it's just a massive yeah fast gnarly track like that's yeah. it's pretty crazy that it's there yeah and i think that's half that's got to be half the reason why they want to be out there them guys and um yeah we've got to, it's becoming a bit of a, a thing now i think like jack started a bit of a thing we'll we'll all go to australia and have a have a race in december and yeah there's just this awesome track literally in the middle of nowhere yeah it's yeah it is. It's the best facility we've got in Australia. For oh, sure. and then, well, facility-wise, it's like better than Phillip Island. Eh? Yeah. Like the fact that it's got the hotels. Yeah. Right there, it's got like the bar, the like cool like kind of museum deal. Yeah. I mean, it's that's like a pretty premier facility. Yeah, it's good. So, will you? Well, I wonder if he'll be able to do it this year because of the um, like. I don't think KTM like would KTM have a bike for him to race. You reckon? Yeah, I, I mean, I remember. Remember KDM having a super bike years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I guess when they go practicing, they ride. Uh, they must ride some kind of super bike. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you can swing it. I guess that's up to you guys to yeah, helping yeah. him to Lots try. Lots more on Maddie. Oh Maddie, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Not, I do fuck all yeah. for that program. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's up to him, I guess. To yeah. yeah. I guess if Jack wants to do it enough, they'll, they'll help him. Yeah, yeah, he'll find a way to do. He could always ride the no, and Jack he'll just enter the three hundred service sport class in the KDM three ninety. They make a bike for that. Could you imagine? And then imagine them kids getting a race with him. Oh, it'd be so sick. There's a bunch of cool talent coming out of Oz though. Yeah. Right, right now, like it's it's wild that the road race thing. There's so much more talent coming out of Australia than the motocross, but that in terms of like going international but watching the mx nationals like me and maddie watched gilman the other night have yeah. you been following it or yeah, like yeah, watching yeah, it yeah. it's really good like the, oh, it's great. the coverage is awesome yeah. I, I wish we'd still go to better tracks i think gilman's a pretty good track yeah but like dude the level in australia we were saying this i reckon like dean ferris right now could get top five in the u.s tanny could get yeah. top five in the u.s webster could probably get top five yeah. In the as the US sits like yeah, yeah. right now this weekend. Oh yeah. But you know, crazy high level, but it just doesn't seem like we have the exports coming out of Australia in the way that it seems like we've got some really good young dudes in road racing. Yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to know why why things happen certain ways. I think a lot of the guys that 
go from Australia that they take a fairly big risk at a young age. Yeah. But often it's it's through blatant talent they take that risk. Um, but yeah, road racing is a it's a it's a funny sport. It's a it's a lot of money to go to go racing road bikes. So when you when you're a father of a talented kid, it's it's quite a big investment yeah. to sort of move on out of the country. But I think what we're seeing now in Australia is they've brought in a few little junior cl- classes, like uh, Australian Superbike. I've got like a Yamaha. I've got a little R one five Cup. Yeah. And then the Supersport three hundred cu- uh, class has been going for a few years now, and and it's sort of it's cool. And you know, you sign up with a Yamaha R one five Cup, say you get a leather suit and you got a cool bike and like for me, I know at that age, like I loved road racing, I loved motocross, but motocross is just cool. Yeah. You're getting dirty. Yeah. The kit's cool. Yeah. You're replacing kit a bit more. Like not many kids want to go and buy a leather suit. Like It's very so it, true. And I know it like, sounds silly, but when you're a kid riding a, dirt, a motorbike, you don't really know if you want to be a road racer or a motocross rider for sure. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's it's accessible and it's cool to go do motocross. So... I think what they're doing now in road racing, having the junior cup and the little Avalis that um, an old competitor of mine, Wayne Maxwell, has been pushing that really hard. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Like, and so they're getting into the road racing when they're young and they're, and they're feeling like, oh, this, this is pretty cool. Because, I mean, when I was younger, I, I didn't start road racing until I was 20, 21. Fuck, that's but, um, wild to think now, eh? Yeah. Like, I was, I was doing some kind of professional racing. But, yeah, like, when I was 16, there wasn't really... A development class yep. so it was sort of there was a bit of a gray area there for sort of 10 or so years and like at that age it yeah we, i just you'd see the professionals and then the guys that weren't pros were just sort of like you know 20 25 30 year old men racing it there wasn't really a young atmosphere yeah. i guess whereas yeah. the motocross track is just like yeah mate there's guys there's girls you're a young guy it's just like yeah you're getting in your van, you're going, hanging out with your mates, and it's just cool yeah. all the time. So then I think that that sucks a lot of the talent, that direction for Dude, the road racer. Me and Maddie were literally, we're talking about like MotoGP season and the riders and like the... Anyway, we we're just sort of saying like, well, it's just not as cool as Supercross, like motocross, Supercross. I mean, every single weekend I've got people from... Formula One, MotoGP, well downhill, like everyone's messaging me like, oh, the race in the right, like everyone's talking about Supercross or yeah. Motocross and it's like you've got all these people from all these different walks of life and they're just like so zoned in yeah. on Supercross and Motocross and like I just, I think you nailed it, like it's just, seems like a way cooler sport, I never really thought about the fact that you can change your outfit pretty much every, yeah. every time you ride but it's got to be something as well like we were we were joking in the car like that they get dirty yeah. like road races you get to the track you can wear white shoes wear a white hat you know motocross that shit don't fly you know like no. you've got to be you've got to have like a little bit of mongrel in you to like yeah. get dirty eat roost all day like just not give a fuck you know yeah and, it's uh, a different it's a different world completely different vibe eh? yeah and it breeds like a at the top level you see like a different style of dude, you know? Yeah. Honestly, like my first few days back on the motocross bike, I was like, you know what? There is, there is whoever the front rowers are on Queensland and New South Wales getting yeah. up in the first, in the state of origin. And then there's motocross guys. They're yeah. the second toughest. Like, yeah. 
it is just like I was just out there getting dirt thrown at me by the, a random guy in a 250 or a 450. I'm like, oh, yeah, ouch, ouch. Like, yeah. And like then guy, to think about racing in 30, 40 guys, rocks and lines changing. like They don't even mention it. No. Like all of the gnarly shit, I was watching a thing, uh, like a Hayden Deegan interview, and it was just like after the race, still had his jersey on. And like his neck down was just thrashed. There yeah. was just bl- like blood and rocks and shit all over this kid. Yeah. And that doesn't even come into play. Like no. if the average person had a, was getting sandblasted for 40 minutes and you put a microphone in their face, it's the first thing they talk exactly. about. But man, fuck, I'm solo. Yeah. Like I always look at the, say, handguards. Like yeah. I've had handguards in my virtual car <laughs> yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah. We're a little bruised. I'm crying about it. Yeah. I've never seen anyone use them at a QMP. But, but then, like, you see an outdoor where they put handguards on for the day. Could you imagine what that might, like, that for them guys be to be doing that or wearing an extra chest plate? Like, we would just be curled up in a ball. Like, like I think Kyle Webster at uh, Maitland, was it? It was like he got shot. He got a rock in his arm. Oh, you have to go to Instagram and have a look. Yeah, find that, it yeah. It split him open. And honestly, it looks like someone shot him. Yeah. Like... And he didn't really mention that. Like, no. oh, yeah, that, this is had a rough weekend. Oh, here's a got hit by a rock. And, like, it wasn't like it was. And that would have been all. That would have been Australian Superbike's main story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The road yeah. guys would have been. Like, I get a bit of rubber flicks off and hits me in the finger in the mid race. And it's, oh, geez. Yeah. Give it a bit of a bit of a flick halfway down the straight. And then it's like an article about yeah, it, like yeah. a photo. <laughs> Many of the rules change. It's too dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you find it? Oh, yeah, there, there it is. is. Yeah, legit looks like he got shot. Yeah. Fuck. He is... Kyle Webster's probably the hardest vegan I know. He sure is, yeah. <laughs> and I've tried that for a few months too. It's hard to, it's hard vegan to be thing? vegan. Really? Yeah. I, it was just a... It was a... For a few years there, was a, there, I was just... Every November, December, I was all in to do Australian Road Cycling Nationals, which is yeah, January. Yeah, yeah. And, mate, you've got to be that, that lean for for that race so every year, every year or just power to weight ratio really yeah yep. i mean you've got to be strong but yeah you don't need any upper body or you know you need to be yeah the course in australia i should say it it's like 3800 meters of climbing in 160k 180k and so you're just doing five minute repeats up a climb so it's just all power to weight yeah so every november december it was just like what crash course diet can we go on to try and lean up this year and yeah one year i tried vegan and i hung on to it for about oh four or five months and then i think it was a blowout at macca's one night after a few beers and yeah, you're just like, Fuck that was it. it i'm done yeah <laughs> i can't do this myself yeah, anymore. It was too hard. i don't know how he does it so because he's a strong guy like he's a hard man oh Kyle, yeah so when the track gets rough and you know sand he's he's definitely a hard man so there must be something in it yeah yeah i've got one of my one of my old coaches at jiu-jitsu he's been a vegan for like eight years he was yeah. like vegan before it was cool yeah, and he's okay. like he's like pretty jacked like big big sort of dude and yeah you know he i think after a while like i think if you really do it consistently and do it properly but yeah i mean it's definitely not for me i i've never even like considered it yeah i just i like meat way too i could do i could do carnivore yeah easier than i could do vegan yeah well it's funny the the day before we stumbled across i think you know what it was it was like remember that um was it a podcast or or a, no a netflix story it's called oh, game changers yeah, oh yeah bro i never they, even watched it i oh, refused to watch it it got me hook line and sinker oh. and so i think we my my father-in-law had bought this um what's where what's the thing you you put the steak in in a sealed bag 
and you boil it or something or it's like a it's a few hour process i think but the anyway you cook this steak it basically fell apart on my plate it was the best steak i've ever had yeah i think we actually watched game changer that night yeah I was like, that's it I, I can't be an athlete if i'm not a vegan oh and that was it and that was like around october november it was so like, it was right like perfect timing like it was right there for and the then picking. and then everyone I, I was sort of embarrassed to tell people I was doing the vegan thing because it was clearly only because I watched that show. Yeah, and you and like every other dude yeah. in the world. So everyone had, t- yeah, I was just the, the laughing stock for a few months and then they sort of, it faded away and I hung on to it for a while and promised everyone that I'd never go back and then, yeah, here I am eating a steak every night. <laughs> so yeah. how did it feel when you did it though? To be honest, the first um, six or eight weeks, I felt really good. Yeah. But I didn't know what i could eat so i was eating super healthy yeah. like a lot of vegetables but then you realize you can get a vegan magnum or oreos, oreos. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. all of a sudden you're just not having anything you should be having and Mac, because Mac it's vegan. Fries maybe i can't remember if that was one of the things yeah maybe probably. that was a cheat from my end but yeah it wasn't i'm sure it can, it's obviously sustainable for, for if you do it the right way but yeah yeah i was probably not not dedicated enough to to carry on with it i think my my wife actually cracked before me and she sort of really she sits to a pretty strict diet when she's into it yeah but she's just like i guess she was cooking as well so yeah she's like you know what it takes a long time to cook dinner every night trying to think of what we can eat yeah so she just she bailed out and then i was a few weeks after i think just for me it was always in my head like the the density of food because i don't like to eat a lot okay i'm not a big eater so for me, I'm like, man, I'd be eating these my size portions. But if you compared the amount of just like, forget what kind of calories, but just calories in that meal yeah. versus calories with like steak, potato, like my normal kind yeah. of meal, you'd probably be getting half the amount of calories. Yeah. So to me, I was just like, I just, and then you'd probably to get the extra calories, you'd probably just start eating shit food. Yeah. But I just feel like for calorie density, like yeah, meat, meat is where it's at. You're right. I reckon that's what I enjoyed about it at the time. Cause when I'm doing the, the push bike event, like, like it's like four weeks of 30 hours of riding a week. Like yeah. I'm talking massive hours on the bike. Well, that's what I was doing. I probably didn't eat. I don't know. I'd, that's what I'd read somewhere on Google that pros are doing. But anyway, yeah. you just want to eat all the time because yeah. you're, you're burning so many calories. So, And that's what I was finding, like massive big burritos that didn't have that much in them, yeah. essentially calorie-wise, but you felt like you were getting a lot of food in. Yeah. But yeah, in day-to-day stuff, yeah, it's a lot of – you can eat a lot because – yeah, it's not not as dense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. no expert. There's going to be people. Yeah, I don't think don't go to the vegan rabbit hole. It's. I don't scary. think anyone listens to this is yeah. actually a vegan. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, would... I'll, I'll I'll let Cole know. I had a chat about his. But he's a hole. savage. He is, like yeah. he's big. I think I think when you really do it for a long time and your body really adjusts to it, and I think like yeah, if you'd say for the first six to eight weeks you feel good, but I feel like there's probably whatever you're not getting from that diet is kind of in your body yeah. for a certain period of time. Yeah. And then it's like, so your body's like, whatever it's not getting from the food, it then starts to take from yeah. like what's left in your body. But then I reckon that's when, because you always hear people say that, oh, I did it a few months, I felt awesome, and then I started feeling shit. Because I just, your body's so complex in yeah. terms of like what it actually needs. And that's yeah. why even just diets in general, like, I was thinking about, <laughs> you know, you see those dudes on Instagram, they're like, uh, 
my morning routine and they're like, I get up in the morning. First thing I do, I go for a 45 minute walk to expose myself to sunshine yeah. and then no coffee for the first hour because of the adrenal system, this and this. Yeah. And then I do red light therapy and then I meditate. Then I do a breathe. And I'm like, bro, it's fucking two o'clock and you've yeah. like not even finished your morning routine. Yeah. Like I got up, I got up this morning, walk to the, walk to the top well, on the way to the toilet press the coffee machine on and went sat on the toilet for like 10 minutes looked through all my emails don't forget yeah. no fires to put out got up made a coffee sat down yeah. read a book in the dark i'm like i feel sweet yeah. <laughs> like do i really need to do a morning routine until 2 p.m yeah i'm the exact same except for i need the coffee before i go to the toilet <laughs> catch up on catch up on the day's social media and and that's that i usually get up early in the morning kids are asleep bit of alone time yeah but it's, it's always a coffee like it if I'm going training, it might be a you know a couple of pieces of toast. Yeah. Like, it, and I reckon most of the guys that talk that big game like it's so they're, they're lying to themselves. Yeah, reckon, yeah, yeah. But like, bro, what you laid out to me is literally like if you get up at six, it's nine before you've done anything. And I just my yeah. life ain't structured like that. No, no, I just want to get on with the day. Like it, yeah. The, the I always say to my missus too she's like yeah, man you take the longest time in the toilet I'm like that's the only yeah. for a male that's the only time you've got yeah. is to just sit in the toilet with the door closed yeah. and like just have some alone time because there's no other chance yeah. that you are getting that I reckon I reckon I judge motorcycle tracks based on their toilet facility because yeah I go to the track yeah. I'm there with the team like a bit of alone time yeah yep I'll yeah. clock on for the, the morning deposit and then <laughs> might sit there for 20 minutes till someone knocks on the door and needs to come in <laughs> yeah, yeah. catch up on what's going on act like I'm busy <laughs> yeah, yeah no I'm, I'm yeah. so with you yeah. so you coffee snobbed you said morning coffee yeah yeah I'm, what's the program uh, I just got a little breville machine there like a, a like a proper sort of coffee machine is it all manual yeah all manual yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah I just have like a three quarter strong flat white for breakfast oof and um, it's always the same. I, I reckon I got into, yeah, first time I, I always like coffee, but then I spent a few, t- a few Julys in Japan with Hooky. Yeah, yeah. And um, like Hooky was there with the, the Japanese team. So I'd, I'd stay in my motel and I'd just stay with him all day long. And yeah. he had this coffee machine there and he was, he was thinking he was pretty good on the, on the, at the latte art and stuff like that. So I was always terrible because, I put it down to experience. Yeah, more experience. Anyway, I went to another level, got home, yeah, bought myself a coffee machine and just practiced for probably years now. So, so you did latte art the whole deal? Yeah, I can hit it. I mean, I'll post on Instagram when I do it. It yeah, looks right. like it's every day, but it's probably one in a hundred. I get like a really nice creamy flour or something on it. What milk do you use? Always full cream. Yeah, yeah. see, I'm full soy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, I isn't the best for the art. Yeah, I, don't, I don't even bother. That's pretty much why I went away from it. Cause I, I, oh, so you were soy milk. I've been soy and <laughs> oat, oat for a while, and then I realized oat hadn't... You oat, can't do any art. I couldn't do any art. But yeah, full creams, I think it tastes pretty good too, but yeah, it's so much easier to get a bit of cream on top. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I went... You know what? Fuck milk for me. I'd milk my whole... I ate, I'd, I'm not dairy-free. Like, yeah. I have cheese, like chocolate, the whole deal. Yeah. But I just don't drink milk anymore. Driving to fucking Manjimup. Yeah. I had so many shit coffees with full cream milk. Yeah. So basically for five days, I just drank warm milk. And I was like, yeah. you know what? This ain't it. And I honestly just could not stomach having another coffee. And I've just literally went off milk. And I got uh, bonsoy. 
Yeah, okay. That's other. So if I have soy, it's it's always bond soy because yeah. our truck, our truck of the race has got a a real high end coffee machine. Yeah, sick. And I'm pretty sure. I must be one of two out of the eight that have full cream. So yeah. everyone's on soy. Yeah. Yeah. Bon soy is the, the go. Um, if someone makes me a bon soy coffee, I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's just, you can't do the art with it. Yeah. You can't do the art as good. Well, you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to know, you've got to know you're what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I got to Dubai, I literally went on marketplace and I looked for the exact Breville. I just got like the old school yeah. Breville full manual, yeah. nothing auto on the thing. I got, I went straight on Amazon. I bought a set of scales. Like, yeah. I weigh my beans every because you can't trust. So, the, what's the coffee like? Like, I've never even thought about what it'd be like over there. Is it, have you been is over there, there before? No. Oh, really? It, what's the What's the social life like? What do you in the mornings do you go for coffee? Is it no? What, what's that place like? Yeah, there's so many sick spots. Yeah, like there's a go type in uh, cafe. I think it's called Cafe Moto Dubai. So like this dude, it's actually there's so much cool shit over yeah, there. Right. Uh, there's a place that was close to where I was living. No, go down. Did you type Cafe Moto? Oh, and the images there. Yeah, no, I don't think that's it. Um, what? Are, oh, Cafe Rider. There it is. Go to that one. Uh, go right, 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 right up to the right of that. Yeah, go there. Cafe Rider. That's what it's called. Yeah, click on click on some of the photos. They got all these old dope Ducatis and shit oh, yeah. in there. So yeah, just full yeah yeah. But like the they're expensive. I think it's probably like about seven or eight bucks for yeah. a, just a normal small coffee. Which I'd I'd probably pay every morning. I reckon that I don't <sighs> the, I don't live a, a really luxurious life. Not on a pension. I, I love love a good coffee. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But now I, I like I'm that serious about it. I do like my beans. I weigh it. Yeah. Like I never just pour the beans straight in the top and fucking let it. Yeah, it's okay. just got to be weighed perfectly, tamped out perfectly. Like just yeah. me- measure the whole deal. So I've gone to a. I used to just like I'd put like thirty kilos for that thing, as hard as I could push it down. I'd I'd push it in. But now I've now I'm um I'm holding it off, holding off the ground, and then as hard as I can oh. do it without pushing in. And apparently that's that's around that twelve to fifteen kilos, which yeah. is, is supposed to be optimum. Have you ever seen the tamp? The it's like a torque wrench. A click. It's yeah. got a click. Yeah. 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 Torque yeah. wrench tamp thing. You yeah. Can go which so I can't believe I haven't got because I'm always like that kind of. I, I love the like, faxes. Like I want it, like everything to be factual yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. I want to know exactly what's going on. But yeah, I need to I need to up my game there. Go to uh, Alternative Brewing Co. This is yeah. dude. I'll show you the <laughs> the coffee machine I bought for the Cape. What's what was it called? Uh, because we, we, we did the two-week trip up to Cape York yeah. on the bikes. And I was like, I'm not not having coffee the entire yeah, okay. time. Yeah, uh, so I'm just, I'm, I'm just making a bit of a camp set up for Go the, to the normal thing. Get one of these, bro, for the camping. It's got a, it's called a Bell... Yeah, that's it. Bellman. Well, there it is. talking about battery sizes, so I'm probably going to need something pretty big if I get that. Dude, this is, on the, this is on gas. Oh, right. So you put this on your stove. See, it's got like the spout off to the side of it. And so yeah. you basically, you grind up your coffee, you put it in, and then the the water, like it steams, it's basically pressurized. Yeah. So the pressure builds up to a certain amount. Creates and then once, yeah, that creates a steam. And then once you release that valve, see the little knob? Yeah. Once you release that, it starts, the steam and the, the water starts getting released through the coffee and extracts the <laughs> yeah, coffee. Right. And then you get your shot and then you've got, 
on the other side, that's your steam wand. So what's your cup just so, on the bottom side of that thing? Yeah, so it on the bottom. Out. Yeah, on the bottom side of that, the small knob there. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty a, gangster. You, yeah, you can't. That's what we need for QMP on a Thursday. Oh, I'll take it out. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll take it out next time. Next time we write. But yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it takes a little bit to get it, like to get your yeah. bearings dialed with it because it's like different to making an all coffee. Yeah. But, yeah. There's something too geeking hard on coffee. Yeah. yeah. I'm not scared to admit it. I, I love geeking out on it. Yeah. Does the does the attention to detail and coffee bleed over to like the road racing? Is that why you think you? Is that one of the strengths I, in your game? I reckon I've become yeah more like that. More like that. Yeah, I definitely was when I was younger. I had no idea about the details. Really, I was just the guy that a guy that just jumped right on a bike. Really, but yeah, now I'm now I'm definitely into that. Which you've seen with with my motocross thing. Like I never used to worry about clickers are like yeah i just get the bike from the shop and ride it yeah whereas now I, i'm at home the night before making sure the clicks where they need to be change tension right and adjusting things and doing ten i've even like what what right do i have to to knock the tension on my fork triple cam bolts from 19 back to 15 or 16 like <laughs> i can't feel that shit but i read on google or read on youtube it was going to be whatever better yeah. so here i am with changing my fork tension like i got no idea why i'm here for it bro yeah i'm, I'm here for it yeah, it's all it's all part of it yeah now i've met someone that's on the same page so oh dude yeah i i, I enjoy it. i mean matt, it's funny like me and matt are so different because he does not care yeah. like at all have you met franco jack's franco yeah i think so he, he was helping it yeah, 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 yeah. yeah i've met him yeah so he runs shout out franco's race shop he's yeah. got a, a sick shop in townsville yeah and i follow it yeah yeah oh you follow him i think so yeah, yeah so he's the fucking man but yeah. basically he just sends maddie maddie sends his forks down he sends oh, yeah. it to maddie maddie's like yeah franco shit's the best and uh and he puts it in and just doesn't touch it and then franco comes flies down watches maddie ride like does it oh really yeah 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 and it, it matt's bike is so fucking dialed even yeah. roans rode it the other day and goes that's the best bike i've ever ridden i think yeah okay but matt doesn't touch nothing yeah doesn't give a fuck and i'm he's the exact full, full trust in franco yeah yeah he's just like that's sweet and then he's like yeah franco said he's got a new shock setting which i'm pretty excited about won't change the shock that's in his bike now yeah. but once franco sends it then yeah they'll be pumped but me i just like to fuck with it yeah i yeah i have to question why they've done something or that, i thought that might have been a road racer thing but i think it's just some people like that yeah it's not that i think people are wrong or right right or wrong i just like to question it want, yeah. want to figure it out for myself what can you feel on a dirt bike like what I, can you notice i reckon i've got a pretty good front end feel yeah i come from road racing yeah definitely like on flat corners and stuff i can feel the balance I, I think i can feel the balance of the bike pretty well yeah so yeah that's why people talk about the honda being a bit vague in the front yeah like i i hope that that would help me i that I would suit that bike a little bit because because you've got a good a good feel feeling. for the front yeah 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 no that, that, I would say I'd say that to be honest yeah coming from flat track and stuff like that yeah 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 because I noticed when you were riding the other day you've got a road races that go fast on dirt bikes have a pretty distinct style like take Jack out of it because he's yeah. such he's a motocrosser motocross. first you yeah. know um, but like you riding, Casey riding, like you can see some of the other boys in Europe, there's a very similar style. Yeah. And one thing that I notice with you guys is just really, really good corner speed 
which you would expect, but also just like powering through turns yep. a lot. Like you, there's not a lot of you in particular as well. Like it's not like you're going super deep on the brakes into turns. It's very like brake and then more yeah. like carrying that that corner speed. The whole, seems very very road racy. Yeah, because I think you find on a road bike. I I don't know. For me, on a road bike, it's like the bike can only take so much load. Yeah, and so you've got to. One, you don't want to be transitioning load quickly on a road bike because you unsell the bike, you chatter, take weight off the front of the rear, you lose grip straight away. And I think I all, on a road bike for me, I think I always try and achieve an even amount of load the whole way around the track. So don't over override the front tyre and the braking. Uh. Definitely at the start of the braking, you're really loaded, but by the time you come to the point where you let go of the brakes, say, you want it to be a pretty smooth transition from brake to mid-corner. Yeah. And then you don't want to be too aggressive on the throttle and push too much weight in the rear too soon so it's all about keeping the balance and i think that's how i ride on the on the motocross bike as well so i don't i don't really race into a corner hard on the brakes the rear wheel off the ground and just sort of roll but then the bike's in a really balanced position for the middle of the corner yeah and probably maybe if you spoke to a pro motocross guy about the same thing they're like oh yeah that's how we do it too but that that's not how i feel like it should be done on yeah a, yeah it's it's weird, let it like I'm sure for a motocross guy or if you ride a road bike after riding on the back of say Jack, you would think, Oh, so aggressive, like pitching this way, pitching that way. But for us it doesn't feel like that. So I guess maybe on the motocross bike that's how they feel. They they feel like they're really holding an even load as well. But for yeah. me it looks like when I've watched them guys, they just like full maximum brake, yeah. dump the brake, just smash the side of that berm or rut or they're always motocross guys are always looking for the smallest little knuckle aren't they yeah like i find it a qmp uh, when it's really smooth it's funny watching a really good motocross guy because they're always on the edge of something like yeah. trying to find when the track's really smooth yeah, yeah. it's like they'll go and do a 20 minute warm-up and build them up they won't just come through sideways and take a few different lines it's like they're just naturally always looking for something to to hit yeah yeah so i'm sure like Casey would be the same. He would look at, at the track different to a motocross guy. Yeah. That's just what we grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Casey's so cool to to go ride with. Like, he he can he really break turns down. And, like, he can tell you, okay, this is definitely the fastest way yeah. to go through this turn. Where Like, I don't have that eye yeah. to just look I, and say, this is how, this, this is the maximum you could do yeah. this turn you know you know it's i just thought of this i'm pretty sure it was on your podcast with casey what was that two years year ago yeah yeah so i'm like 35 yeah when the podcast came out and i'm like philip island is like mate that place i'm like a beaten dog with that place yeah i i i get there thinking i love it and leave there with my tail to my legs every time <laughs> yeah so anyway in the podcast i'm pretty sure it was this podcast yeah. he mentioned at say i think it's it must have been Lukey Heights, I think he mentioned, which is you go up around the hill yeah, and then you just come directly into a right-hand corner. And he mentioned that, oh, I just get to the top of the hill. I, I, you won't be able to quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure it was something like, I just get to the top of the hill as quick as I possibly can because there's no exit, so it doesn't matter what happens on the exit. Yeah. So why, basically, why should I come around the back of the corner, set myself up for an exit that's not there? And I've just like put that into my, just, my <laughs> thought process. I'm like... Why didn't I think of that? Like, I was just at Morgan Park the other day, two days ago, 
and it's got a corner that's like really fast downhill, like 230k an hour. Which one? Oh, you've been to Morgan Park? Yeah, well, I'm trying. I'm pretty sure that's where it's, that's where I rode. So that you got. I think you've mentioned on the podcast you had been there. It's yeah. a real outback, like uh, in Warwick. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you get so you got the start straight. There's yeah. a chicane before you come onto the start straight, and then a right hand, and exactly. then you go up to the left up under the bridge, and then yeah, down the bridge. Then you got yeah. a right, and then around a fast left and, and another, another right, right. And then you and go then left up, and then then you go all the way down the back it's really fast yeah the, like, oh so the fast left hand yes and then you go one. right yeah, and yeah, into yeah, that yeah. right yeah. it's it's pretty like it's a pretty gnarly corner like it's bumpy and anyway that they've just resurfaced that corner oh so that was fucked that rough. corner yeah yeah so, yeah, so yeah, when yeah, it was yeah, rough yeah, yeah so this is how i got thinking about it when it was rough the only way through was just to break for that apex because it was so rough and then you just get out of there as well as you can. Well, it's resurfaced now, so I'm coming through there, staying as far left as I can to try and make a good exit. And then I'm like, a session or two in, I'm like, why am I making an exit for? You go directly from that corner. Before you even open the throttle, you're on the brakes for the next corner. Yeah. It reminded me of that, yeah. like Casey's yeah. advice, which I think was on this podcast. You'll have to check. But yeah, like, and I never thought of that in my whole career. Like that, I guess there's probably other things he could help yeah. me with if he's yeah. out there and he wants to just flip me a message on yeah, his go-to yeah. for going to a track. But like that, that kind of I don't know why I never thought about that because I'm I'm a pretty technical sort of rider. Yeah. But yeah, it makes perfect sense. And like so now I go to Phillip Island. Like, don't try and because the corner he's talking about at Phillip Island, it's like the on a super bike or bigger, especially a GP bike, the the rear's just got no weight on it. It's just yeah. it's so easy. But on the point to where you would make the exit, there's actually camber. So, you know, what he's essentially doing is just riding up that hill in the camber with maximum grip. When he gets to the top of the hill, he's just turning around and braking. Whereas I think for all these years, I've been trying to hang out, hang out, and then come through the top of the corner when the weight disappears from the rear tire and try and exit, which can't happen because you just So slowing. you're trying to like technically do it right when it's, yeah. like, it's like you don't have to just do it like this and shortcut that whole process. Exactly. If there was a 1K straight after that, the line I was taking would be more relevant basically. Yeah, yeah, But because yeah. there was no exit to that corner, yeah. you just, you get to the top of the corner and then you break for the next corner. And I'd never actually thought about it that way and it's it's pretty basic when you think about it. Well, we, we were out, uh, you know, the... Where you crash that tabletop there. Yeah. You know, like the next sort of down the hill when you kind of come up and then you got you go yeah. down and go right. We're hitting that corner and then oh, I can't remember like exactly what his advice was, but he's like, let's just hit this corner a few times. I've always struggled in that corner and uh, it was a case of just like slow down to go fast. And then yeah. Rones was actually filming and there's just like, I was just hitting this. T- it just didn't even look like me on a bike and i was like literally just doing what he said not even thinking about it not trying to go fast but just doing exactly what he said and i was like what the fuck like this is crazy less energy faster way better dude yeah but that's like the that's the annoying thing about motocross or like doing shit right on a motocross bike yeah is that it doesn't take any energy when you do it right and it feels so much slower than when you're trying to do it fast like i had uh townley do a couple of days coaching with me last year oh yeah and it was unreal like he's he's the man yeah but every time i did it perfect it felt like the easiest and slowest time i did it that's so hard to replicate yeah because it's the exact opposite of like what you're sort of trying to go for you're like surely when i do it right and at 
it's fastest it should feel like that yeah. so then you've got a comparison like oh that felt faster that yeah. felt faster so that fast, felt yeah. faster it's yeah. not always the way yeah no. yeah my first years in america like oh not my first years the years i i got right into my motocross my last two years in america would have been like 07 08 when when villapoto was like the dawn he was he was still on the light spike i think but he yeah. was he was going fast and i do i do like the what was it like tuesday Cahia, Wednesday, Paris, Thursday. Oh, so you were living in Cali? I was living in a Best Western in Temecula. Wow. For, for like six months straight. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. About six months you were just living yeah. in a Best Western yeah, in Temecula? Actually, yeah, I reckon That's it was six so months. Sick. Yeah, when I first signed with KTM. Yeah. They basically just gave me their, 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 their work credit card and a van, uh, a ute and just said, you know, as long as you're training, we're happy to pay for it. Wow. They had a deal with the, with the Best Western. I think I had Brett Medcalf's like old Ute, because he must have been, he must have been there, like he would have been pretty young then, I guess, was he? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. Anyway, yeah, and so well, I, he I was living there. KDM like 04, I think, 04, 05, 06 maybe? Yeah, okay, so I joined in 07, so yeah. maybe his old, his old work car. Yeah. And um, yeah, like, and so I'm going on the motocross tracks, and I remember one day, because Villapoto parked right near me, and I'd been there for maybe two motors or something, I'm doing my laps, and and I'd always be stop watching what I was doing. He goes out, and so I, I watched, and it's like he's on a flat track. He wasn't hitting any of the same lines. He so he carved his own lines in. He's fast as I go. As soon as he finished, I go out, and there's all these new lines carved in. Yeah. I reckon I was like three seconds a lot faster, without even trying. Like so, it's not even that they're way better than you. Yeah, they also see shit you don't see. Yeah. Like it's like how how are you supposed to compete with that? Some people just live a few tenths of heaven else. I reckon like he <laughs> yeah. was one of them guys. Like there was always a lot of good fast guys at the track, as you know, in the, in the local the local stuff. But like some of them guys would rock up and just change the whole track, make it look easier. But it was actually easier because they just took more efficient lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you spend much time riding at Glen Helen? Yeah, I done a lot of Thursdays at Glen Helen. What do you think of that joint? I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Because I just sort of got to the point where I was able to ride sort of rough tracks and because I was a flat track kid, I rode in the bush and a lot of flat track. I never really rode rough, rough tracks. But after them, like I, think I was in America 05, 06, 07, 08. Yeah. Two years were with Husky and so I never done any motocross then. But um, when was I was doing Supermoto. Yeah, yeah. 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 Four years in Supermoto. That was how I started it because 05 would have been maybe 17, what I was. 18 maybe 17 18 yeah and um yeah i did four years doing that and yeah the, the two years with ktm i was just able to do i at one stage i had a i had a ktm super duke naked bike like a road yeah, bike yeah. just turn the handlebars upside down so it's like a road bike had my factory supermoto bike and my motocross bike in california and one in wisconsin where the team was and um and like i just made friends with the, the mechanics and i'd get like exhaust factory tires like I was just a supermoto kid, but I got to sort of live like a, a pro motocross guy trains in the week. It was so good. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like riding them tracks, Glen Helen especially was good. And I, I think I'd do like, um, Monday I wouldn't do, wouldn't ride. I think I, I might be wrong, but I think it was Tuesday, Cahia Creek. Is that right? Ke Maybe Ke Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? I thought Wednesday was Paris for some reason. Oh, uh, I could, yeah. But it was like, a, anyway, it was three days in a row and Thursday was Glen Helen. Yeah. Then Friday, I'd go to this place called Adam's Cart Track 
yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's near Milestone, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, I'd ride there, and like, like yeah, like Nicky Hayden would turn up sometimes, and I'd just be I was loving life. Like, Dude, America I, is fucking cool. Yeah, when it, if you like two wheels, and yeah, you like or two or four wheels, like you cannot beat Southern California. Yeah, and I was just like a 18 year old, nineteen, twenty year old, like fan and supermoto was all the old guys were coming back to race it's so on like Wardy, Wardy McGrath, and McGrath yeah, Henry yeah. Chad Reed to go to X Games like I'm just going to the track and all these heroes are, are rocking up and then I go to the motocross track and they'd be there it was just unreal best time of my life really yeah and I and I, I only stumbled across it like I I rode flat track and I was like when I was 16 I was just I think at the time it was like the trading post you wouldn't be online looking for bikes I'd be Look, getting the trading post and saying, Dad, oh, there's a 250 production bike, road bike. Let's get that and go road racing. We're like, we can't afford that. And then it was like Supermoto started gaining a bit of momentum. And I think the world championship was coming to Australia, but I was still too young. Yeah. And my dad's like, oh, well, I'll go and have a go. So he went down really? to the, he went down to the Vic title, the Victorian titles, which was a qualifying event. And he qualified to do a wild card in the, in the world championship, which he never done. But so he bought this bike and he's like, okay, when you turn senior, we'll do supermoto because that means you can learn road racing on a cheaper sort of platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just one thing led to another. At the time they were doing like once a year they'd done this Sydney Tennis Sydney tennis Centre had like a an event like around Olympic Park and all the motocross, Australian motocrosses and road racers would come and do it. So I got to race against some bigger names and I was probably the only – non sort of pro rider like bigger name that that had a had a reasonable reasonable amount of speed and yeah just one thing led to another and i think it i was riding husqvarna and no one wanted to ride the husky and a guy crashed in america before the first round and they said oh if you if you buy a ticket over we'll give you a bike to ride and i got second in the race and they had to they had to bring me back and i remember when i got there i was like i think i was making like 400 bucks a week working for dad and um I got this phone call to go ride the first round of the AMA Supermoto Championship. And, like, it was a big deal for me because I was just a dirt track kid. Like, it wasn't like I was riding pro motocross or something. And on that stage, like, a big dirt track event, you know, it wasn't televised or anything. And I'm there and Doug Henry's there and Wardy. And, yeah, it rained and I got second in the race. And I remember when I got there, they like, "Uh, you sign up for the contingency plans. So I Husqvarna, I'm using Dunlop tyres, Scott Goggles, whatever. I think I made like, I think six thousand bucks for getting second off wow. for for the weekend. Anyway, just so off contingency. Off contingency. This is anyone can get it. So yeah. like at the time, making four hundred bucks a week. So I get back and they're like, "Oh, we want you to come back because you've you've you're obviously second in the championship." The next one was a double head around at Copper Mountain. I'm riding two classes. I, I think I I remember I remember that night I was like. I was, I was probably legless drunk I, <laughs> with, with my, my team manager or manager at the time, Paul Feeney, and my best mate had started his apprenticeship and I'm pretty sure he was making like 20,000 bucks a year or something and, and just, and I was just anyone there. I wasn't on a team. I just signed these bits of paper and I made 20,000 US on the one weekend. I was like, holy crap, I'm, I'm going to be able to make such good money out of this sport. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I got home and dad's like, just I I think I was more of a hindrance at work <laughs> he just gave me a job so yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah as long as you're putting in and training and riding 
while you've got money in the bank, you just do that. And if you needed some work, come and work with me and hopefully you get a ride out of it. Yeah. So that first year I was like, that was 05. I ended up making probably $80,000 in or $60,000 in discontinuity. I went to America four or five times. I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to, yeah, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be a pro, pro yeah. motorbike rider here. Like I'm going to live on, I'm going to live on hedges when I'm older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then pretty much like from 08, 09 when the GOC hit, it just went, shoo. I'm like, I went from thinking Supermoto was going to take me to a lifelong career. I'm like, holy crap, this, this sport's going to die now. Like it's it, crazy it just how fell quick over. it went. Like yeah. there was a point of time where yeah x games you'd have like mcgrath it was like fully televised you'd yeah. have yeah chad was racing travis was in on it like so many dudes were in on it yeah and then it just went yeah yeah i only got to do x games a couple of times but yeah it was like all the big names were there and then they had the moto x world championship yeah where it was just a motocross only or, or a motorbike only x games and yeah you get all these big names it was it was good fun yeah it's pretty cool to be a part of there's a dude uh i think it's josh mclean yeah now. yeah yeah he's still going over and he's over there right now and he's going it. really well yeah but yeah. he's like there's just zero money like he yeah. can barely afford to even actually go and do it yeah. and it's like if he was yeah in your yeah. era he would have been you, killing it you exactly know? yeah it's all luck of the draw really isn't it yeah just just timing and like the way it worked out so when when was the first time you ever rode a ra- like raced a road bike then? Well, yeah, so so I wait. Um, what was I? I wait twenty one. Yeah, I I actually planned to. St- I was going to st- whether I I won the championship in 08 in the supermoto on the supermoto bike. What was but, the bonuses and shit for that? Was it decent? Yeah, I think I made. Well, for the year, I reckon I made one hundred and twenty us i think which was good yeah. back then too yeah. oh oh wait no nah, the, no, no, the dollar, dollar, was dollar like format, basically yeah. the same it was basically yeah. the same yeah 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 but i mean the sport wasn't that big like so i was i was making a good living and better better than i was making in australia the next five years yeah <laughs> riding riding road bikes but then again i i didn't have any reason to get paid either i was just super lucky so what had happened was i had decided in 08 that's it um i'm gonna go road racing because i wanted to be a road racer forever not forever but from when i was sort of 15 16 yeah yeah and then like obviously casey was going road racing so i was around casey's a year or a year and a half older than me yeah so i'd often be in the tra- i'd be often be in the same race as him <laughs> never really racing him but yeah often like, we, track. we're a similar age group so yep. i'd, I'd yep. be coming in an age group he'd be going out and then was he just a freak oh, at dirt track like crazy yeah because that's what like he he he, he would he brag would more about his dirt track there, yeah. than MotoGP. Like he was say, he's like, all right, I was good at MotoGP, but I was fucking good at dirt track. Yeah. Like he'll well, still he was, talk he like was that. literally, it was like he was like, so he was obviously more skillful than pretty much every kid or was, but from like, I didn't know him that well. We'd obviously say hello. And like, he was, he was a pretty quiet kid, but always super respectful but from what i knew of him and seen of him he it was like he just had an adult's head on his shoulders yeah yeah for sure so like kids make mistakes like there's three you you race your dirt bike all weekend (laughs) and there's three four lap finals they take like one and a half minutes yeah it's a lot of pressure on a kid he just got a start or he didn't get a start he'd make his way to the front he just rarely made little kids mistakes i think one weekend he won like five Australian titles in one weekend, right? All these different classes, and you know what? His bikes were always the beat, most beaten up looking bikes. They were always pretty fast, but like 
never had like really new looking stuff. But yeah, it was just like he had a an adult head on his shoulders. Wonder what it was with him, like if it was just the feeling that he had, like it just so. Could you even hear the way he talks about MotoGP, like you're saying with that, yeah. you know, the turn at Lukey Heights or like turn three, like the shit that he's feeling yeah. on a bike is great, like next level, just to have like that level of, I don't know whether it's like, it's like he instinct. can pay attention so much, yeah. like he's riding around the track and he's going full speed and, and going at that maximum level, but he's still able to like listen or yeah you know what i mean like i think feel some people something. yeah i reckon it's like jet lawrence looks right now like some people are just one they're super comfy with speed and and their reflexes are good but they're just like they're just a few corners or a few tents ahead of our brain yeah like yeah i think maybe he just can think one outside the square and two just a bit ahead of everyone everyone else yeah you know or nearly everyone else when you once you get to MotoGP I'm sure there's a lot of people a lot of guys that like have that, that. But yeah but as a junior junior rider there was all, like there was kids that were fast like he he had it hard a lot of the time he had hard races but he just often come out on top yeah so, winners win kind of thing yeah yeah so so for that reason he was going road race and I wanted to be a road racer like yeah and there's other other kids that at that time that they went on to be Australian champions and stuff. So I wanted to do that kind of stuff. And and then yeah, so anyway, end of '08, I was like, okay, I'm going to go road racing no matter what. So I actually flew home to Australia. I couldn't find anything overseas, like in America. And um, I didn't try and go to Europe. But I hadn't I hadn't ridden a road bike. I had that KDM Super Duke. And, and it's funny, I, I rocked up to um, Eastern Creek for like one of their rounds and it was just before my final round then I was going to fly back and finish the championship off and I was the team was sponsored Red Bull so I had a Red Bull hat on and I just rocked up to Eastern Creek with my backpack on on my own and a Red Bull hat and a Red Bull hat I'm thinking I'm the coolest guy the reason I used a Red Bull hat was because I went to Yamaha I think and I'm pretty sure it was the Yamaha guys and asked who's in charge there and hi I'm Troy I'm going to go road racing next year I'd love to love to have a test ride or you know I want to ride in your team. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're responsible for Red Bull. Oh, yeah. How, how much money can they bring to the team? Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. Pat, yeah. Welcome to road racing. Welcome to road racing. Then I go over to the yeah. Honda tent and I, I, got, I waited for 20 minutes and and um, the team manager comes over and just literally laughed and is like, yeah, 100 grand, mate, and you can ride any one of these bikes you want. Yeah, and I'm right. Like, All right, yep, cool. Then, and then, yeah, Suzuki gave me a test ride on the, on their bike. Like, for no re- real reason, I think... And like, you've um, never ridden one. Yeah, well, like... So, Jay Foreman, yeah. he he ran a Submoto team in Australia against, like, for, for Yeah, Sydney. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm sure he... Like, I know later on, yeah, he put in a, a good word for me. Um, Sean Giles is a legendary Australian racer. Yeah. He must have put in a word. Anyway, they gave me, their t- gave me time of day and they gave me a test ride. And so, like... I went to Winton Raceway on a cold day. It was raining in the morning. Fuck that. Had like had like two 15-minute sessions and I was like pff, seven seconds a lap off the off the lap record ever. Got in the week, I'm like, oh, that was good. That's over. And um, yeah, Phil Tayton, the, the team owner, offered me a contract. Like it was... That I, is insane. I looked back and it was like, how... Like what... What reason? Yeah. Like, how, I had no right to be walking into that truck and saying <laughs> yeah. I, I want to ride. Yeah. But it's funny later on, like it was sort of a bit of a. There's a few people who were like a bit annoyed that I got the ride, and 
but then like young guys come up to me now and ask me oh yeah I'm gonna I want to go I want to go to superbike class next year or you know how am I getting in a team no one no one no one's like um no one's gonna know no me yeah no one's hit me up I'm no like one, yeah. have you walked up to such and such and put your hand out and shook his hand oh no like their, their dad's called him or something like yeah like you rarely see someone young it's not you don't see it and it's not now it's forever i think just young people yeah. aren't that confident whereas yeah i think my dad was always like if you if you want to get in there you got to get in there and shake their hand and start talking to them yeah it's a lot harder for him to say no when you you're looking them straight in the eye yeah yeah and then yeah that was it i oh nine i moved back to australia and i raced super sport for two years and then moved on to the superbike and and i've just stayed in australia since then really i've done one year in germany and i quit racing after that it took 18 months off and then that brought us through till 2014 and then from that point on i just stayed with honda in australia and um yeah that's so wild yeah it was, it was so it funny how it all happened like yeah what made you think that you could uh you know when you when you're younger you sort of just just an idiot yeah yeah i, I really i had <laughs> like no, in I, the best way possible yeah i had like no literally, right yeah literally yeah, yeah. i there was a couple of guys um like not casey i wasn't comparing myself to him but like um so jason halloran who's a top british superbike rider uh josh waters and a top australian superbike rider yeah yeah um them two i grew up with racing dirt track they were they were better than me too to be honest but like i was like, oh they they can do it but why can't i do it and then yeah i just sort of i was i was a decent dirt tracker i was a decent motocross rider i was i was good at the super moto bike i'm like i can do that yeah i'll just go and ride road bikes but it, it was a lot different to what i thought like it was it was scary so my my first ever test so yeah I, I did that ride at winton it was literally two 15 minute sessions my next ride was a three-day test at phillip island oh and it was private track factory suzuki MotoGP, uh factory cowie which was hayata or whatever the year they pulled out yeah um and then world world superbike um suzuki and then us so there's like eight people on the track one's chris Vermeule and one's marco melandry i am like first day on a road bike properly that i hit a seagull so the gnarly. second lap down the straight no shit coming the straight and i'm riding down it's just flying down i'm smashed into it but yeah like everyone was really welcoming but man i was like i was shitting my pants Dude. Like, i was so scared i remember on the second day or third day um melandry's come past me and he's on an in lap out of turn two he's come past me so i got the whole lap and i'm chasing him and he's on his in lap comes out of siberia up the hill and he's just smoking the tire up comes out of mg and then from mg which is turn 10 you go into turn 11 from turn 11 you can go into the pits yeah and, yeah, it, and yeah. it comes back on itself yeah. and all the good guys just smoke it up coming to there i'm i'm like probably doing my best lap of the weekend he's on his in lap he comes out of mg looks back sees me there and just rips smoke off this gp bike <laughs> all over me and i'm just like what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah and then smokes it up gets a bit of a wobble looks back and just like gives me a bit of a wave and then i get going i'm like how cool is this i'm a road racer now like how good is this dude yeah. i actually can't believe that that's how this whole thing went down yeah yeah it was really like there's a there's a bit in the fine print. I did. I bought a ZX6 and got to do two track days and a race on it. So like, yeah, but that's not. Yeah, like it wasn't. That was it. Like that was literally it. But I, I mean, Supermoto was like, 
you know, you're on road, you're on good road tires and you're getting a feel for road bikes. So it, it is, it is giving you some experience. It wasn't like I had no experience whatsoever, but, but just the, the speed and the commitment that, especially at PI, like yeah. to just like, I rode the, I did a Ducati oh, yeah. deal there. Did uh, you ride a, like a, a big Ducati, like what sort of Ducati did you So ride I rode, there? I spent, um, I spent most of the day on a V2, but oh, yeah. it was Ollie's race bike. Yeah. Like yeah. So Ollie's V2. Still capable of 280. Oh, yeah. I was on 280 down the straight on yeah. that one. And then <laughs> I got on the naked. Oh yeah. The fuck what the V4R, yeah. but the naked. Yeah. And I went faster on that thing. Yeah. Cause you like probably were, did you feel like you were more on a natural position? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. actually, there's like photos of me on that bike like i got photos back from that day and i was like fuck you actually look like solid riding riding that one yeah but um just like i remember the the first session going down the start straight and just going underneath the sign and like that oh that's where i was backing off because like that's me too you can't see and then i would like see guys that were just like just past that sign wedged and i'm like fuck off no way like that's not possible and then sure enough you come the next lap and i'm like right just flat past that sign yeah and you're just like and everything feels so gnarly but the commitment to then just like lean it and carry speed through through turn one and then turn two and then fast turn through like it's just wedged and yeah. it's just full commitment yeah. the, the entire is, time that track is so for like you to have an, to like go one. there with all those fast guys around you like this yeah. is your job now yeah like that's so gnarly yeah it was it was so it was so daunting like yeah but i, I mean I, yeah i was i think i was what was it 22 i guess yeah yeah 22 yeah but yeah, it was like, yeah, crazy, yeah. How how much did you improve in that test? Um, I know I done forty, yeah, forty forty ones or something in the first session, and I think I finished on a thirty seven. So like, I I didn't improve as much as it sounds, but that that's a quite a lot, really. It's a big big yeah. improvement. And then yeah. the lap record was thirty thirty five nine or something, thirty five two or something like that. So I was I was sort of like any good rider, really. You. you you get that two seconds away pretty easy. Like if I not if I got on a MotoGP bike at Phillip Island, not saying I get to two seconds, but I'd probably get to three seconds. Say pretty easy, yeah, easy. And then from there on, it is just like Impossible. a lot of commitment. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say any good rider would get on, yeah, anything really. And yeah. then you, you get to yourself in reason within reason, but yeah, it's a big commitment to go from because like that first day, I think I was like like Casey's corner turn three, I was fourth gear through there and the hay sheds, the fast right at the hill, I was fourth gear there. And my teammate, Josh at the time, um, my teammate at the time, Josh, he, he was like, Oh, you should be in fifth there. And like the hay shed, you'll be pretty much full noise in fifth. I'm like, wait, wait what? Nah, bro. <laughs> no, mate, it's yeah. not possible. How am I going to get to that speed up there? Like, it's just crazy. And then, you know, a year later I was doing that speed, but yeah, it just all happens really, doesn't it? When you, some, sometimes you everyone's different like for me when i get out in a race it's just things just happen like you ride around for three days there then and i'm i'm struggling then i think at the the race meeting a week later i might have went a second faster in the first session so yeah yeah. as soon as you get out there with other guys 
things just start to happen. But yeah, but Phillip Island is one of them tracks, honestly. You can be, especially on a 600, you can be off the pace and then you get sucked up to speed like a push bike race. It just, yeah, you know, right. When you're in that pocket of wind, the bike handles amazing. <laughs> yeah, okay. When you're the guy out pushing that wind, um, I don't know what it's like for these guys with winglets and stuff on, but like our bikes get buffered around quite a lot. So it's a lot easier that track when you're following. That's why when you when people talk about Casey at that track, it's it is pretty amazing how fast he is because he was always the first guy. Yeah, he's always out there leading, and he's dropping them guys. They can't even stay in in his in his draft. I think that's where like Casey must have had some kind of he must have been fairly mad sort of guy. Like because I I think that track rewards guys that want to just risk it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and not saying he's a he's a risk it sort of guy. He's obviously very calculated, but he must have had something in his brain that he just said, you know what, I'm just going to hold this thing on because how do you get to that stage? It, it's some it's like in a triple, like going through turn three. Yeah, the way he does, it's like hitting a triple for the first time because you're going so fast, you're steering with the rear of the bike, you can't back out of that because yeah. the thing's not going to turn. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, yeah, like he's coming from like way back, lighting that rear tire up. Not many people. I do that rarely on a race weekend. I might go through that corner, you know, a hundred times on a three-day race weekend. It's probably not until the last few laps of race three that I'm I'm doing what he does. <laughs> like, it's just one of them tracks, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, man. When I when I got on the back with Jack too, it was one of those things where that one of my thoughts was like, okay, how did he know that was possible? Yeah, at some stage he's got to work that out. Like, how do you figure that out? Because I don't, I would not have thought that would be possible. Yeah. And like, I've ridden road bikes and I've like been on done track days, and it's obviously it's not that's not my thing. Like, I've done two track days in my life. Yeah. But at no point did I think that's possible. Like, I tell people it's like falling. You know, when you fall off a chair. Yeah. When you fall backwards, and there's that first second where you like literally you're like okay gravity's gone I'm out of here now <laughs> that's what it feels like every time they're t- you for me I'm like okay yep that's where I think I'm about to fall over yeah. and it's like nah they go way past that and I don't like I don't know what catches them yeah. because it's like you have that feeling that you're about to fall over but they don't and I'm like how do you figure that bit out yeah and that's right even for and like, yeah, and I know what happens there, but like, even for me, when I, when I, when you see a, a video footage of a GP bike and their shoulders on the ground, like that's, that's sort of like, for me, I'm like, how, like, how does that happen? Like, yeah. I try and get my elbow down. Like I've got a bit of an old school style, but like my shoulders like that far off the ground. Like, it's like, how do you, how does gravity hold you there? Like, what's the force like? Like how fit do you have to be to, to take that sort of G force? Like it must be a lot of force going through your body yeah. to be able to ride like that and, and not fall off the bike. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, I just could not, I guess probably like I would have been in a more compromised like position being up a bit higher and on yeah. the back and th- like it probably was harder for me to hold on than Jack, but like, yeah, dude, it would have been two, sure. two laps, man. I was fucking cooked. Yeah. Like I, I would have been really worried for myself if I had to go, <laughs> yeah. go, go for three, but like, yeah, and same with, you know, Casey turn three. Like, how do you know that that's what you can yeah. do? That That is where, you know, you'd look at Jet right now in like the 
450 class. It's just there's there's such a gnarly level to the game that you can get to, and it's like how though, like yeah. how do you, how are you the dude that found that? Yeah, and it's and it's and it's amazing doing stuff like that when you've seen people do it. Being the first guy to do that kind of stuff, like like that's when you see that's that's the special stuff. Like I guess that's what gives athletes and races the, the big buzz is that legend status as yeah. well too is like the guys a bit of a breakthrough something yeah with Bubba Scrub or turn three at the island something like that yeah yeah. oh man I just can't believe that that was your introduction to road racing yeah it was, and like, how did the first so season cool. go oh, I crashed a lot um, yeah okay yeah I I yeah I won a race um, actually I won a race at Phillip Island it was a it was a dodgy conditions wet dry race and yeah so I I had a good year. I got, I think I got fourth or fifth in the championship and I got a couple of podiums, but not many. I definitely wasn't fast, fast, but I had glimpses of, of speed. So yeah, I was really lucky. Phil Tayden, who, who took me on, he ran Suzuki for years and years and he had a lot of good riders come, come through and he pretty much, he gave me a one year deal. He said, look, I want you for three years. I want you to do two years on the super sport bike and then we'll put you on a super bike. And so the plan was to do that. And then even even a fourth year, really. And then, you know, learn, win, learn, win. And, and I learned one and then I learned and then thought I could do better and I went overseas. Yeah. And and at the end of 2011, after my first year in the Superbike, I didn't win a race in the Superbike the first year. I got second or third in the, uh, third in the championship. But And I was, I was going pretty good. I was definitely on the way to, to having what it took to, to win in this country anyway. And... um. But I was like, at that stage, I think I was 25, and I was like, oh, you'd already I, been. I really need to go overseas. Yeah, you'd already yeah. been there before too. You sort of know how it works. Yeah, and Phil was good. He, I, I said to Phil that I want to go overseas, and he said, look, I, I don't, I don't think this is your best career move, but I do understand why you want to do it, and so I did it. And it's funny, I, I went with a team that knocked me back, knocked me back, and then like December, I think the rider that they signed and taking the taking his money elsewhere <laughs> yeah and um and so i just i got a call up late and it was pretty funny because i went to the first they all, all go to spain for their winter testing i guess and yeah all the german championship i was in the german Superbike championship with the bmw team and i've rocked up there and the team i was riding for wasn't a really good team at that stage and they just had riders with had a bit of coin on them and yeah, they yeah. sort of made up the numbers and they were good sometimes. My, I had There was one guy that was riding the bike was good, but anyway, I got there and I was going fast straight away and it was like I had a fair bit of interest in that championship at the start because I can only imagine that these teams assumed I had money because yeah. the team I was riding with. Plus, oh shit, this guy's actually pretty good too. And then when it got to mid of the year and I'm like living out of this camper and got no money, and everyone realised that like the opportunity started going away, uh, and then I ended up just losing my ride. I was like third or fourth in the championship. Never seen one of the tracks we went to, and um, just one Saturday night before the races, the team decided to let me know that I've been dismissed, and that was it. I spent like three months, or two months driving around Germany and England. I went and rode a BSB race and like try my best to find a ride. I actually found a ride with the with the official BMW team. Um, for 2013 in Germany, got home, and I was like, "What am I doing this for?" I was yeah. making, I was going to make no. It was all incentives. So I was going to make no money unless I done a, got a win. I'd already spent too much money. It wasn't getting paid that year, 
and I'd been getting paid up into that stage in my life racing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I kind of always said if I got to 25 years old and I wasn't sort of making a living, probably it's time to go and get a job. And I, I, I remember I went to mum and dad's house. It was like November. They, they assumed that I was going to sign this contract and go back. And I'm sitting there at dinner. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop racing to mum and dad. And dad's literally like, yeah, right. Right. He just laughed it off. And then like three days later, I was like, yeah, so dad, I, I sent that contract back. I'm not going to, I'm not going to race next year. Have you, have you got a job for me? And I'm like, I wouldn't mind starting, wouldn't mind having a month off and starting like first of the next year. And he rang me like three hours later. He's like, if you want to work with me, we're starting Monday. I'm like, okay. So I went straight to work and then I ended up working for, I ended up working for two years, but I think after a year, that was like November, December, I think I went to the MotoGP the year after to watch and um, and I was down there having a beer with a few mates and, and um, a mate of mine had seen on, on one of the socials that I'd been invited to this Troy Ballas Classic, which is a dirt track event. Yeah, yeah. That a few, they had an invitational race and um, we, were, we were just on the piss there together and he said, oh, ride my bike. He was a mate of mine, Matt Drain, his name is, and his son's over uh, doing really well in flat track in America now actually. And... Um, and he had this, like, he always had really fast bikes when I was gracing him. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I've got this hot rod at home and you'll love it. It must have been 2015 uh, or something or 14, but this bike was like a 2009 model, CRF 450 with a big boy 500 in it, and, like, it was a weapon. a weapon. yeah. So I went out to Forbes, had a ride on it, hadn't ridden a bike in a year, went to the Troy Bars Classic, and I went out and practiced, and I was just, like, loving it. It was like it's like I hadn't been off a bike, and um, like there's a lot of big names there, and I had a great time, and um, I finished that event. I was like, "That's it, yeah, I'm, I'm going racing." Yeah. So I rang Honda, um, and the championship at that time was like a really stock championship. They'd sort of broken away from the Australian championship, yeah, and doing this other series, and it was really standard. And and the guy, I won't say who I spoke to, because what he said was, was like. Oh Troy, like I, I appreciate you want to ride the Honda, but like this championship, it, this like we're really we're struggling at the moment in this championship. And I was like, look, you guys have got the best team in the country. You're the team I want to ride for. I'm just going to buy a Honda and do my best for the year, and and let's see what what happens at the end of the year. And then they couldn't. They were struggling to build my bike in time, and I had no idea how I was going to run this bike. Like I had no money. I had a mate from Canberra gave me a bike to do a few rides on. I had no idea about looking after a bike. Like, I couldn't barely change a wheel or anything. Anyway, Hooky high-sized himself off, the, off the team bike, <laughs> off the team bike at um, a support race at Phillip Island or something, two weeks out from the first round. And so um, the guys at Honda called me and said, oh, look, we haven't got your your bike ready for you. Uh, Hooky's injured. Are you happy to, to sit in, to, like, take his spot for the weekend? I'm like... So my, my first race back after 16 months or something on the on the team Honda bike, so get a nice Alpine Star suit and new helmet and, and I just rock up to Gold for my own race, like two minutes from home. But I hadn't ridden that track because I couldn't ride it as a junior. Like, I'd never ridden it. Yeah, yeah. I'd done a handful of days there. <coughs> and, um, yeah, it was real f- – We I was, like, way off the pace at the start. But what had happened was that Friday practice, I was 16th on day one. I hadn't ridden much at all. I was rusty as I was scared trying to pass people, and but the but the Saturday was racing, but it was the fastest laps you done was your position for the Sunday races, which was the main championship. Yeah. So 
I think I got like 15th in one of the races. But in the last race, on the last lap of the day, I got the fast lap of the day and qualified pole position. And I'm like, what the hell? I, I'd done like a massive PB. I got like eighth in the race, but I was chasing people and got this fast lap time. So I started my first race back. It was the Australasian Superbike Championship. That is so funny. Yeah, on pole position. I didn't win. I got fourth or fifth or something. I, I couldn't. Honestly, I was I was so rusty that in the race, I was shitting myself. Because, you know, it's like at speed. I couldn't. I hadn't been in that situation. I couldn't. Pa- I literally did not pass anyone the whole day. And um, But, yeah, after that, they sort of, that was the same thing. I got lucky again. And then they like, okay, we'll do your deal. I think they put me, they slotted me into the team, like with Hooky and, and Jamie, my other teammate. And I think I paid, I paid everything. I paid um, accommodation, mechanics, and entry fee, all that kind of stuff. My tire bill had a few personal sponsors helping me out. And then um, it was later on that year, I, I, um, I think I, I won my first race. There's three race format. I won my won my first race back. That was at Goulburn again in my home race. For the next race, I end for ended this spy blade, oh. and um and I was supposed to be paying crash damages, Fuck. and and it rode the bike off anyway. My there was four riders in the team, and they're all getting ready. I'm like, I'm not getting ready. I'm I wasn't going back out for the third race, and um freebie Paul Free was running the team, come up and said, Drew, what are you doing? We're out in ten minutes. I'm like, mate, I I cannot afford to fix that bike. I'm done, and um. Yeah, Honda footed the bill and, and I sort of, I signed a contract rather the next year and they they looked after me the rest of that year and then that was it. Now, then I've, that was 14 and I just stayed with them since then because I sort of got a, a bit burned in Europe. Yeah. They were so good to me and and I'm like, you know what, I, if, I can, if I can make myself to where I'm making a living racing in Australia, I can live on the Gold Coast, yeah. have a good lifestyle, you know, I'm not going to be a millionaire but I can, I can race. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Racing a really competitive championship. I'm like, yeah. okay, that's really, I'm, I'm all in on being the best Australian rider. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's been me for the last 10 years. Yeah, it's honestly not a bad way to, to go about it. I no. mean, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of pressure for people to go overseas and do the, you know, uh, there's a select few people that, you know, if you've got the right time, the right, situation you know like have a run at moto gp yeah but at the same time i think v8 supercars is a really good example of this you know like look at brock feeney him and jack dawn yeah. grew up together they race karts together they race everything together super competitive jack's don't gonna do the f1 thing brock was just like i'm staying in australia i don't have the funds to to chase that yeah. so 
I'm going to try and get a good V8 supercar drive and I'm going to race in Australia. Like, yeah. it's a pretty solid pathway. It, yeah, it's great. It's underrated. Yeah. and it's But when you're, when you're really young, it's hard to make the decision because you want to be a world superbike or a MotoGP rider or an AMA supercross champion. But not everyone can do that, unfortunately. And, yeah. and then as you get older, you realise that, shit, there's a lot of really talented riders out there. So don't go around thinking you're better than everyone else because you're probably not. Just uh, work harder what you got, and then that's what I done. I, I realise now that there is a shitload of riders out there that can beat me. Yeah. If they if they put their head down and they get the right opportunity, so I just work hard with what I've got, and then that's it. I, yeah. I'm I'm happy with that because I get to race in a really competitive championship. I get to see young guys coming up. I'll be able to help them in the future. I'll probably be able to get a job in in the industry. Yeah. Whereas when you go overseas, sometimes you're sort of you're not forgotten about. But if you're not a, a a leader over there, you're just a guy racing in Europe. You don't get heard about much. So as far as establishing myself in the sport after racing, I'm hoping that this has been a good move too. Yeah, yeah. No, it it makes so much sense, and yeah, yeah. just a lot of people don't don't want to commit to it, and it probably makes you a better racer to specialize here too. You know, yeah. you really know the tracks. You get to go to, you know, do the track days, the testing. Like, yeah. the, it it would help you win by staying here as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's the thing. I'm not I'm not the the most talented rider in the country, but I've got a lot of experience. I'm pretty handy, and so that for that reason, I'm making it hard for the young guys to take my ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then, how did the rest of those next few years play out? Like, how many championships have you won in the? I've won. So I won in that that Australasian championship I won one there and then I've won two Australian Superbike championships since so I, I've had like I 14 that first year I was third then I 15 I won 16 I I lost by a puff 17th I won uh, 17 sorry where am I what did I, start? I started 14 sorry yeah yeah 15 I won that that other championship 16 I think I won again in the Australian championship 17 I I got beaten by a puff 18th I won 18 I won yeah and then 19 was a really close race so I lost by one point or something yeah and then is that tw- with Wayne no that was with Mike Jones oh uh, yeah, yeah it's probably it's so probably like, the one of the more famous recent Australian superbike races if there is fame in, in yeah, Australian yeah, superbike yeah, races but yeah. that was a really good battle and then 20 what I mean 20 COVID yeah, yeah COVID it was a COVID for 20. shortened year we did race Wayne won that year yeah 21, like I was super competitive that year as well. 21, I was, um, I got injured. Then 22, I was really injured and now we're here. Yeah. I'm sort of, I'm I'm pretty much back to where I want to be now. I feel like I can ride the bike how I want to ride it. But yeah, the crash in 21 was like gnarly. pretty much, it was pretty gnarly, yeah. The, you, you could, couldn't really see footage of that crash, like the way that the yeah, camera Yeah, I would love they if, they, if I could release like it all the angles or something to see what actually happened did they they just mustn't have got them because no, like i've only I'll, ever seen a slow motion the slow-mo where like you, the bike hits the wall but yeah. you're like so what what from your perspective do you remember what happened i just tucked the front yeah yeah because it looked like a nothing crash yeah. but there was no gravel trap and the wall was like super close probably the worst place to low slide yeah low side. yeah so you would never in a million years think you're gonna crash there like I've done two well, up, first lap. First lap, yeah. yeah. I've done two up drives, and like the V8 guys are clicking gears there, where the super bikes because they accelerate so fast. I was actually you roll out of the throttle there, and I was doing 230, 228 k an hour or something ridiculous, 
And um, first lap, got out of the throttle, and the front just like wasn't even looking like staying. I, I don't know if I was wheel standing a bit, like just. And then when you dropped it down, yeah, you it was dropped going it on slower. an angle. Yeah, and like just tucked. Yeah. But like as soon as I crashed that bike, I was like, Fuck. I was like, I'm going to die. Like, really? That that wall looked like it was head on. Like, it was pretty, it was, I don't know what angle it was, but. Well, it was pretty straight. As soon as I crashed, I knew I was hitting that fence so hard. And um, and then worse for me was the bike hit it yeah. and exploded the fence in the air. So I actually just went, like, it must have been 80 to 120K an hour. I don't know what it was, but like, just straight into a concrete wall. My whole right side. When you slow mow it, I sort of like I was head first until the last minute. I was like I've tucked to the right, and it just shattered my whole right side, like uh, humerus out out of the skin up under my arm, like punching my so arm. So gnarly, dude. Yeah, like just shattered the bone, eleven screws and plates, and then uh, ribs. I broke a toe, some fingers. It just smashed my neck of femur like inches out of place, up into my butt cheek, and um and I was just I just woke up in ex- like absolute excruciating pain of like uh, yeah. midnight that night as they were trying to pull me up because I, I guess they had, my, had me on so many like pain meds and like like the worst kind of pain meds I was it was getting a bit not touch and go I'm not saying I'm, I, I nearly died but like you know I was starting to get a bit funny there was blood loss and different fractures and yeah and it was getting pretty bad so I was like they had to I had to sort of you know, you sort of come to before they can give you more yeah. painkillers or knock you out for the surgery. So I remember waking up and my mum and dad are above me and I'm just like screaming. Like the pain was immense, like I'd never felt before. And then, yeah, because it was such a bad injury, nothing to do with the surgeons or anything, but I, I was bleeding and internal bleeding. They had two operations to do so that they sort of just got the hip together, got the arm together and then, yeah, the hip wasn't, strong and then it ended up re-breaking like six weeks later oh. when I realized it was like snapped and it was like back out of place by a long way and because neck of femur femur injury you, you need to load it and I'm, I'm being told to wait bear and but yeah, it's i'm walking still around broken. Like, yeah and and then i spent a long time on painkillers and that affected me and it was like yeah i think it was it was a good month in a wheelchair at least and then it was and then it just i just had a kid at that stage oh <sighs> Yeah, like my daughter was like, yeah, I I was like not walking for like, say, half of her life, essentially. She was three months old when I crashed. And then like, yeah, I was we're in, I was in full-time care because we moved in with her um, my wife's parents. And um, like, so I was under full-time care, plus she was raising a kid and oh, it was a brutal time, eh? Hectic, dude. Yeah, and then, but we love racing motorbikes, like. Yeah, then you, yeah. like. You're so down to do it again. Yeah. Like, obviously, you go, oh, I won't crash there again. But, yeah. you know, you just still just like, get back on the horse. Yeah. and But it did knock me around. Like, it's funny. The mental side of sports is something you always pay attention. Like, I, I, I'm interested in. Yeah. And that, like, I've always felt like I, I could sort of rise above any mental mental sort of deficits that people have. I, I feel like I'm, I'm good in that area. Yeah. But um, that was like that was hard to come. That was a hill to climb. Yeah, because it just the confidence was gone. So, because pain, pain is a real motherfucker in that sense. You know, like that's the great leveler is when you have to experience such a gnarly level of pain. But then when you get left with like the residue of I might not be able to do this again. 
yeah. I might not be able to do that again. Like I broke my hip in 2020 and I, I had like heaps, I did like a degloving injury. Yeah. So like the skin came off my, basically like my back and my ass cheek on my left side yep. and it all filled up with blood Oof. and I like compressed heaps of, I literally like brand new bike day one, like. I'd been riding a super old bike, so bike kicked a little bit sideways. I was like, yeah. "Ah, it's don't like nothing to worry about." And then it's just kicked back on me. Went straight into a fence. Oh. Tried to avoid the fence. It was like a barbed wire fence. And then like had to do this hard fucking turn to avoid that. And then just jump straight onto the track on off a lip. And just like oh, so, no. it was just a comedy of errors yeah. for something that should have been not even a crash. And then just went straight down. But like the pain you go through and you're like all right that's sweet but then it was like a couple of weeks after where i started like not being able to like feel my leg properly yeah and i started to have these you know when you see someone that's like paralyzed and they got like drop foot in a sense where like their foot won't yep like so i started getting that and then i'm like dude have i just ruined my fucking life with this thing yeah. you know like have i am i never gonna be able to walk it so i think that is where it's like that mental side of it you know the pain's one thing and yeah. you know you can kind of get through that once it's gone you kind of forget about it like you can't bring it back in the same way Yeah. but when it is one of those injuries where you're like I might never walk again I might never do this again that's I reckon when mentally you just really start to yeah yeah when you yeah when you can't shower yourself or go to the toilet properly and like yeah and you're just a massive burden on on your family and it's like oh geez what am i doing this for and then, but yeah it's like but then that's what makes some like i i think that's what makes me tick is like yeah not prove i don't have to prove anything anyone wrong no one thinks that i couldn't do it i could do it again but just proving to myself that i can sort of raise above that and get back to where i was yeah i think i'll be pretty happy if i say i finish out this year if i can definitely if I win another championship i'd I'd, I'd probably think about stuff and maybe, I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't, is that what I'm trying to do? Or I don't know what I'm trying to do, but I I definitely feel like I had to get myself back to there just to prove to myself I could do it. Yeah. Even the cycling, I got back to like a, when done the national road championships again after my broken hip and just to sort of try and tick a few boxes and feel like I'm back to where I was. Yeah. But um, yeah, definitely. That definitely knocked me around that one. Well, I feel like having that goal of either getting back to, you know, win another championship like that, because as a professional sportsman, you're doing the same championship over and over and over yeah. and over. Like, how, yeah. do, how do you so it's get... It's a bit different for me now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How do, how do you re-motivate, especially if you've won it before or you've won it multiple times? Like, because goals, like, you never really... You almost never really tick a goal or the goal is yeah. so brief like it's, actually achieving it so brief so it's like you've constantly got to move the goalposts on yourself yeah because you, you made a good point there because i didn't re- i've never really thought about that but that, that's obviously yeah that's something that motivates me yeah it's not a regular championship now i'm coming back from an injury or whatever so that, that is motivating but then then the other thing is too like you just said you never really tick your goals because anyone who's at the top level of their sport I guarantee you that when they, even if they dominate a championship, they can think of things. Like you've you've had Jet Lawrence on here giving himself a, I think he gave himself an F or, or something. <laughs> yeah, for it's, like, it's no, or when he on the motocross, I think he still said, I think he used to gave him a B or something. And yeah, it was yeah. like, you know what? He, he gave himself yeah. an average scorecard. Like, and I'm sure even this year, say him, for example, he's fresh in everyone's mind. He's just dominated the first few rounds. We can't pick anything except for one ruddy nearly bounced out of yeah 
I guarantee you he doesn't – he's got something in his head that thought, okay, like, you know, if this happened, I might not have won, so I've got to be – you know, if he does that different next time, he might beat me there. Yeah. But, you know, there's probably something to, to it sort of to drive him to keep going. Yeah. Because even, you know, I've won – when I won championships before, I've definitely won them. I was a guy that deserved to win it, but you do think to yourself, oh, yeah, that guy – he might not have had quite as good of, you know, such and such as me or, you know, I had better preparation here than him. So um, imagine next year he might have that. That'll be better. That'll be cleaned up in his area. So, yeah, I've got to make sure next year I beat him in that area. Yeah. That's my goal next year. Like, yeah, you're always moving the goalposts. Well, and because I think that goals are weird in that the achievement of them, like let's say you win the achievement, it's such a weird timeline of how that even works, like how long that lasts. Like when yeah. you, so what, when you win the championship, is it over the second after you cross the finish line? Yeah. And then like, when, when did you win it? Or yeah. is it after the podium? And then once you've got your trophy on the podium and then you step down from the podium, like is, are you yeah. still completing your goal or is it already in the past? Yeah. Like it, it, <laughs> it lasts such a short period of time that you yeah. almost can't even pinpoint like you can't even grab yeah. exactly when it is that you achieved it and then i think that it, and it, it's got to be built into just like human drive like that's what motivates if you could accomplish something and then be truly accomplished then what's the incentive to yeah. ever do anything again yeah and so i think the like money's an easy analogy is like once you go, oh, my goal is to make ten thousand yeah. dollars, and then you're like, okay, well, what's next? A hundred thousand dollars. Well, that's ten x the original goal. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. And then a million. That's another ten x. Yeah. And then, and as you get to, you've got nine hundred ninety nine thousand dollars. You haven't hit a million yet, but you're already looking past it. Yeah. So you're playing this constant yeah. like game with your goals. And I think that there's a, a book I talk about all the time, but Atomic Habits. And he'd talk about the guy that, or the eight people that sit on the, or stand on the starting line for the 100 meter final at the Olympics. They've all got the same goal, but only one person actually wins it. So is what's your goal even mean? Yeah. You know, like there's only one dude there. They all had the same goal. Only yeah. one guy won. Yeah. And it's about like the, I think it's the people that find like those games to play within. Yeah the goal itself like they're the ones that end up doing good yeah like the people that are like more devoted to the process yeah yeah that's right i think that's where the goals are set for a lot of people is in the process like for me i know because like you said you, you always shift your goalposts if you if your goal is just to win all the time yeah well carmichael and i said what what year he, he won every race one year yeah like there's not many guys that get to do that so if your goal is to win every time you're going to be pretty down in the dumps a lot of the time so i think a lot of them top athletes they set goals inside the process so like for me first first goal to finish the race yeah that way i'm always achieving something yeah yeah and then that's not my only goal but then you know y y your goals will lead to that championship yeah but the actual championship might not be what the goal is you know what i mean yeah so i think that's what that for me works set goals in the processes and yeah and then that it's not a goal it's a bonus yeah if you win the if you win the big prize yeah it's it's almost like a byproduct yeah like you tick all these other boxes there's obviously something with you where you're like because you do the cycling you got the you know motocross you got goals within that like 
you're there's obviously something about you where you just really like to put yourself out there put put up a challenge for yourself and then actually you have like the dedication to to stick to it like it's it seems like it's always been in your life yeah i i yeah it's like if you're gonna do it obsess over it and get into it yeah like, and unfortunately that's good and bad it really isn't it like but yeah right now it's like i'm, I'm obsessing over this motocross yeah. for a few months yeah and that and then but i always align it with my racing like the my my, my main thing is racing my superbike yeah but the cycling in the past it's like it fitted well um the australian championship was in january so i'd have my off season i enjoyed doing it so i'd put my effort into that i'd be all in at that and then the moment that race finished i'd park the bike for a few weeks and i'd back on the motorbike and now we've got a chance to do an australian motocross race and i've done mountain biking in the past and like yeah i just i like to pick something but even honestly when I got on the motocross bike for the first time in six or seven years, this sounds stupid, but I was doing nationals before I, before I rode that bike that day. Yeah, I just hadn't told someone out loud. But I'm like, okay, what's going to get me to the track? Yeah, on this bike. Yeah, three or four times a week, doing a, a club race or something is good. But like, I know if I'm going to do nationals. I need to take this pretty darn seriously. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it was like, okay, I went to the track and I'm riding with a plan. And that's not to say I don't enjoy just riding. I do enjoy just riding, but I really enjoy having a bit of a purpose or achieving something out of the day. Yeah. Like, I, I, if I'm just going there with yourself and having a ride, that's all great. But if I'm going there on my own, in order to enjoy it, I generally look for something to do, whether it's yeah. working on something or... Yeah, having a goal. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I can't remember the name of the book itself, but there's this part, it's called, you should always have a bag, B-H-A-G, big, hairy, <laughs> audacious goal. Yeah, and okay. uh, and uh, I thought it was, it's actually kind of like made me really think about like the whole Dubai thing and like what yeah. I'm, what I'm like trying to get going on. Cause I was sitting there and I was reading and I'm like, oh, fuck, what's mine? Like, I, I don't even know that I have one at this point because you could say like oh I want to have the biggest podcast but it's like that's not really a fucking goal like that's yeah. so, there's what metric would you actually go yeah. off you why, know? why am I taking this risk yeah is it for nothing or is there a goal like, yeah yeah and then that I was like it kind of made me think that at some point I always kind of have had like a goal and I I think about this when I was like doing you know like competing in martial arts and shit like there's no for me at least anyway like I I was a different person training when I would have like an Australian title or a yeah. Queensland title or something coming up. Like it forces you into a zone yeah. where, and I wonder whether it's like, for me, I think sometimes, and I don't know if, I don't know if it'd be the same for you, but for me, it's like, I get so anxious about that thing like whatever the goal is that yeah. i'm doing that i almost like scare myself into yeah, that's, performing and that's the feeling sense. you're after that's yeah, for me that's yeah. what i like okay it's, so it feels like that for yeah, you too yeah i love the yeah bite off more than you can chew yeah and like yeah like and essentially paying respect to what you're going to be doing like yeah when you go to a martial arts tournament like in a national championship you don't just go there nah. well, that, that's disrespectful to the guys that are, are actual athletes like so you don't want to go to a motocross race or a cycling event of a huge level just to do it 
like that's sort of I find that just to be a bit disrespectful. Just go and do a race at a club event if that's what your goal is. Yeah, so yeah. So I think that's why I try and take it as serious as I can anyway. Like I'm not saying I train more or harder than everyone else, but I do obsess over whatever task is ahead. And hopefully when I finish racing, that's on a paying job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's how some people tick. Yeah. they got to be all or nothing. Yeah. So do you get like that level of anxiety around like so right now you've got the nationals kind of like in august and it's sort of yeah. hanging over your head a little bit and like when you think about it you're like getting a little bit of anxiety like fuck i actually i really need to like i really need to run i really need to ride i really need to cycle yeah it's sort of like i've been through these processes a lot over the years so for me it's like okay i pretty much i can't remember what the plan was how many months it was but it was just spend a month just riding and then from from sort of july when i'm when we race at morgan park I'll have four weeks or something, I think. I'm like, okay, uh, that's when the anxiety might set in if I'm at the track and I'm seeing like 10 seconds a lap slower than Aaron Tanny or something or 15 yeah, seconds yeah. a lap slower. Although, to be fair, I could probably afford to be that much slower and still be in the event because they're so fast, them guys. But, yeah, I think I'll get to that last month and it'll be like, okay, I'm doing it. I've told, I've said I'm going to do it. And that's the other thing I liked. You've got to yeah, own it. Yeah, put it out there. Yeah, if you're going to do something, you got to own it. Yeah, like there's there's no better way to to do it and to, is to own it. There's no failure. Like I'm yeah. not going to fail at QMP. How am I going to fail? Like who cares what I what happens to me out there? Like, but like I think some people are scared to sort of put themselves put themselves out, out there. there, and that yeah. could be in anything really. Saying you're going to go and do an ocean swim of, out to to a calf shore and back or whatever. Like yeah. I don't know something like that. Like some people might want to do it and they might go and do 1,200 metres of it and turn around and come back. And, oh, that's that's awesome. You've done 1,200 metres out and back. But they know they failed because yeah. they want to do 2K. Yeah, yeah. If they'd owned it, they might have they might have got it done. Yeah, like, there's a there's a saying, uh, Naval, Naval Ravenkant, he does this podcast. Um, it's called like How to Get Rich, but it's like a, it's pretty, I'll actually send it to you. I send it to fucking everybody. Yeah. But it's like, he sort of just talks about the more so like the mindset behind like being wealthy. It's not so much about like making money as it is like about a mindset that you should like have, like this is what successful people, you know, have this mindset. But he, uh, he basically says like society rewards you based on the amount of accountability that you take at something. And it's like essentially just another way of saying skin in the game. And it's like, that I my life has got immeasurably better from doing this podcast because as soon as I say I'm going to do something, I have to do it. Yeah, like, I can't. Yeah, there's there's not many things that I've said I'm going to do that I've like backed out of. And even I was thinking about today, me and Rones last year. I like packed up, put suspension in a bag, and we flew to WA because I said I'd race Manji. Yeah. And, and you're probably halfway there. Oh, the whole way yeah, there on the this. start line. The whole, <laughs> but then you, at least you've done it, you know, yeah. like same world vets. Like we've put it out there all yeah. year. Like we're doing world vets. We're doing world vets. We're doing world vets. Yeah. Fuck. I haven't run in my life and I've probably run a hundred K's so far this yeah. year, you know, yeah, and it's just it, that accountability of like, I've said, I'm going to do this and you've got this big, hairy, audacious goal, like looming over you. Yeah. And I think when you get to our age kind of thing, that's sort of, you start to get comfortable. Like you could just go on doing whatever you want to do and, yeah. and people around you have respect for you and they 
they know you you're going to be okay so that's fine you, you say you're going to keep doing this podcast on a tuesday for the rest of your life yeah. cool no worries yeah but you might know inside yourself you're going to be better than that yeah but because you're at a point now where people just trust you they okay no worries yeah. But you're not actually going to get better there. You're probably going to get worse because you're not getting out there and exploring. And that's kind of where I'm at on the motorbike, I reckon. Yeah. It's been real easy for me the last few years because in my sport, in in my championship, I'm, I'm well known now. I'm well respected. And if I say that, you know, there's an issue with the bike, there's an issue with the bike or, or that's how fast this track is today, that's how fast this track is today. Yeah, yeah. Or, is my body okay? Yeah, it's fine. No worries. And they believe me. No one's really saying, hey, you need to do this. And that's why I think the motocross the motocross thing, it's like putting me pretty far out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And I think that's what's keeping me at a that's, – that's got me back to a level. I mean, no one – people probably – a lot of your guys probably don't follow, but I've gone from not winning since my accident, eight to ten weeks of motocross, perfect weekend. Really? <laughs> Qualifying – Fastest ever lap of the track, two race wins. That's sick. It's like, I'm not saying motocross is the only thing that changed. We we developed the bike and we've been looking like going better a lot over the last year. So it might be coincidence, but I've also stepped well outside my comfort zone in my training. I'm not just riding my push bike 500k a week like I always have. Yeah. And and people will trust that's enough because it's worked pe- people can't do that. Yeah. So they think, oh shit, that guy's amazing. He can do 500k a week. After 10 years of doing that, that's pretty easy for me. Like I'm not saying cycling is easy, but that that sort of training. Yeah, yeah. So it, putting putting myself out of my comfort zone, I think, is what's got me to a higher level. Maybe not even just the fundamentals of riding a motorcycle or a motocross bike, just being uncomfortable a lot, yeah. a few times a week. Yeah. Like when I go to a track out there and the pros are there, I'm I'm just another guy getting his butt kicked. So yeah, I'm I'm out there stretching it a lot. So I think, and I reckon that in life is what. Some people fall into the slump and some people keep challenging themselves. Yeah. I reckon that's that's where people keep achieving. Yeah. At our age, we're at that age. Yeah. How, how old are you? 30? 35 30, in July. Yeah, so I'm 36. Yeah. Probably at that stage where you've you got to keep taking the, the Glen Helen Vets Worlds and the yeah. manager mum trips because if you don't put yourself out of your comfort zone, you might just... Well, and steady, there's a time, dude. There's a time where... And I've been thinking about this a lot lately, but because I look at my dad, right? So my dad's 61, I think. Yeah, yeah, just turned 61. He's like, right now he's fucking on a bike, on a, on a fucking, what's he got? Africa twin. And he's like yeah. riding out to Alice Springs to think with his mates. Like he rode Cape York with us last year. Yeah. But it's like getting harder on him, you know? And like, I can see that there's this worry that's come over him in the last 12 <laughs> months that like, it's going to run out. You're, you're literally telling my dad's story. Yeah. Exact same. Yeah. Same bike I, and everything. I think yeah. that that's the, that's going to, we're all going to be faced with that, you know? Yeah. So like to me, it tells me two things, get it in while you can yeah. and stay fucking fit and stay healthy. Yeah, for sure. You know, because at some point, like there ain't going to be another world. Like there's a last time that you'll do everything yeah. in your life. Yeah. There's a last time you'll breathe. There's a last time you'll pick up your daughter. There's a last time you'll kiss your wife goodbye. There's yeah. a, like, there's a fucking last time that you do every single thing yeah. in But a in lot your of people life. spend a lot of time saying they're getting to that point. Yeah. And like, probably we're at that age too. Like, oh, geez, I'm hurting this morning. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting old. Yeah. Like, yeah, our dad's, my dad's 63 
63, yeah. Yeah. He's an Africa twin as well, but he just finished a three-day trail ride in Dargo that he's been doing for 15 yeah, years, yeah, and he's like, yeah. oh, it's my last one. And he's literally at that point where he can't enjoy it like he could. Yeah. But, yeah, he's still he's still putting himself out there, but. Yeah. Like, yeah. But that's, I guess, to me, like, I'm very well aware nowadays. Yeah. That, I think especially, like, seeing my dad going through it. My dad's still got years. Like, he did stem cells on his knees. Like, he thought he was done. He thought he'd never do Cape York again. Yeah. He got pumped full of stem cells and, and oh, yeah. like, fixed his knees. Not fixed, but got yeah. it to the point where he can do it. But, yeah, it's like, man, you've got to fucking get it while you can. Because yeah. at some point you know you're just not going to be able to do it and yeah for me like i just i'm scared of that and i'm like i just don't i don't want to i, I want to be able to get to a point where i i, I stop doing this shit and i'm like right i've had my fill yeah <laughs> you know? i've had enough of this yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. like go out on my i don't i don't ever want to win i think i don't want to win around i don't give a fuck about any of the of the accomplishments around it. I just want to be doing it. I yeah. want to be doing it with my mates, my family or whatever. Yeah. But it's like that, I think I'm realizing more than ever. And I think it's a reason to, it's a reason to stay in shape. It's a reason to yeah. not get unhealthy. It's a reason to have a good diet. Like, and me and like my wife, we talk about all the time. Like we look at the generation, like our parents generate, and this is not talking about like my parents in particular, but let's yeah. just say like that generation. Yeah. They didn't understand diet. They didn't understand exercise. They didn't understand so much of like what we have now gotten to consume with like the internet and media. And, you know, like I'll exercise for, like, I don't see me stopping exercising. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Whereas I think in when I, my dad's age, like he, when my dad was my age, like I remember him as a that age and he wasn't really exercise like he wasn't training yeah he was probably an active person yeah he was active but he wasn't training yeah, you know same with my dad yeah and they didn't know any different like, that, exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah so now i think nowadays for us like we don't really have an excuse do we to not be healthy nah yeah. and i think we have I, I guess it's just like a cultural thing and i but then you look at Gawley. Like yeah. that dude's my north star, bro. Oh man, he he's Gawley, and he's been so good to me too, Gawley. Like really. So he had a hip, he had a hip replacement. I think two weeks before I broke my hip. Oh. And he lives two k, three k from home. He he rang me and said, "I've just done this. I was starting to get moving again. I was just going to his house. We'd go kayak and doing exercises together. Like he's just a machine. Lives animal eh? Like yeah." And just loves smashing up in the envelopes too. Like just he'll every session if we're on that kayak getting towards the end and he he senses that I'm not enjoying it, he'll just start going faster. Like even his age, he's so competitive. And um but yeah, super healthy. And that's where I actually met Kyle Webster. Oh we yeah. earlier. He he's a Kyle's a pretty strong athlete. Like Dude. Yeah, he was down for a few days and, and um yeah, he's a he's a strong guy. But yeah, Gawley's like Imagine him these days. If he was born in this era, oh, like he was sort of a, a bit of a pioneer of yeah. of that kind of thing. That, that the fitness side of racing, well, there's so much out there for him now. He wouldn't have to, there would be no trial and error for him. He'd just he would be a fucking animal. He'd be a freak. Yeah, yeah. dude. There's a photo. I actually grew up in my house. So because my dad raced back in the day. Yeah. So he raced with like Gawley and Leesky and and all yeah. those guys. There's a photo, and it's Gawley's in the middle. And then there's like my dad and oh, there's a few, like maybe Peter Melton. Like there's a few kind oh, yeah. of guys that, that was like my dad's crew when he yeah. was, when he was younger. 
Gawley just looks like fucking Zeus, bro. Yeah. Like, all the other boys yeah. are like, my dad's built, like, he kind of built a lot like Matty. Yeah. And uh, just, like, all these scrawny dudes around him and then just, like, an Adonis, an Adonis yeah. in the middle. It's like, he was always that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think he just must have been born with that. I mean, yeah, you, you've got to want to be that guy, don't you? It's hard yeah. to... If you're trying to be that fit all the time and you've got to... It's got to be an effort, then you won't stay there. Like, he's obviously enjoys the lifestyle he lives yeah yeah i think that's the the people that are like you probably be able to talk to me with cycling about this because i think until until i've started doing jiu-jitsu like i never really enjoyed training yeah that like it was more of a thing that you should do if you wanted to be better at yeah. riding but I, I never enjoyed training for like training's sake yeah whereas jiu-jitsu it was kind of like you just got to go and like ride motos yeah every day but then we were doing drilling and you could see how much better you could get with dr- it kind of like and it probably transferred to motocross oh massively yeah yeah and but that- it wasn't until i started doing that that i could st- now i like i like i run you know there, there's like things that i like doing that is trying yeah. i like doing weights i like doing all that stuff but i think that there's definitely like a tipping point or there's a point you've got to get to where it's like just an everyday non-negotiable i think that yeah i feel like that could be developed or cultivated like if there's someone that's listening to this that like just doesn't exercise at all yeah. like i really think it is possible to get to that stage where it's just you just do it every single day yeah for sure yeah because i i definitely didn't i was just an active kid that rode dirt bikes i, yeah. I didn't train or anything and then you know i sort of yeah i, I don't know how i wasn't like a cyclist when i was a kid i, I was 20 or something when i bought a bike and and I definitely didn't like training. I liked riding motorbikes, and that was it. Yeah. But same thing. I just I went to a local bunch ride and a local club race, and got my butt kicked by a sixty year old fellow that had been riding all his life, and and I was supposed to be a professional athlete. Like yeah, it's like, yeah. But then that that then little things trigger me. So you you just got to find what triggers you, I guess. And yeah. Then, so then I was like, okay, I want to be, I want to be the best B grade cyclist in Goulburn. Yeah. Then you do that, then you go and do another race, and then from that on, then I, you know, ten years later, I'm riding my push bike a lot, because I, you know, I do enjoy it. But yeah, that's the only. I don't. I the cycling for me was not so much because it was going to make me a better motorbike rider. It was just I really enjoyed it. Same yeah. same with you with the jujitsu, you, and motocross and stuff like that. Like yeah, if you're doing motocross a lot it's still easy for you to train in jiu-jitsu because you love it. Yeah, yeah. So you just got to find, there's no one thing that's going to be good for your training or your, your general fitness Yeah. more than others. It's just got to find what you like. Yeah. As long as you're being active. Well, I think too, there's something to, uh, I didn't like running when I started running. Yeah. It was really hard. My legs really hurt. Yeah. The next day when I woke up, it's like, man, I just... I wouldn't be able to do the today's run, you know? And yeah. then you force yourself to, and then it's just like, you go, this is not sustainable with <laughs> like yeah. with how much this shit hurts. Yeah. But then I think that there's a level of like, you can't find, there's like a threshold you have to cross to where you can find enjoyment. And then like with all the shit that's happened, like coming back to Oz and then like, I've been tied up recently. So yeah. it's like, I'm fully off the wagon. Yeah. Went for my run yesterday. And it's like one of those things where it's been like a monkey on my back. Yeah. Like I need to go for a run. I'm like, fuck, it's cold. Yeah. It's raining. It's dark. And isn't it like, funny when you start losing your, say yeah. your running fitness. Yeah. It's like, 
I know I just need to go for a run. Yeah. But every day you don't run, you don't want to do it, it more. It just gets heavier yeah, and, like, heavier and heavier and heavier. I know I'm going to be a bit worse today. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah. It's like, all yeah. I've got to do is run. Yeah. But my mind's telling me don't because I'm not very good at it yet. Yeah. And then I went running yesterday. I was like, all right, I'm leaving work early before it's dark. I'm definitely going for a run. And I went run. I was like, the fuck have I been doing? Yeah. I should have been doing this every day. Like, there's no excuse. Yeah. I like this. Like, this is actually fun, yeah. you know? And then even... I was thinking yesterday while I was while I was running because everything's for most people like we're so fucking busy everyone's busy whether you're making 40 grand a year or 400 grand a year you're pretty fucking busy (laughs) you know like you gotta cook food you gotta clean your clothes you gotta go to work you probably got a missus you got some kids like everyone is super busy and I was even thinking yesterday when I was running like I should be doing this just to get some alone time. Yeah. Like just some it's peace only, and what, quiet. 20 to 40 minutes a day. Yeah. And you actually, you get your heart rate up in the morning. It is the best way to function for the day. Yeah. Like, you're just so clear when you finish. That's why even, like I've, I haven't worked for years now, but with the cycling, I'll, I'm often going out. If I go for a ride, it's often in the, the 5.15 a.m. bunch. Yeah. In the dark. You finish at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the dark in the winter. And like, what? Why don't you just go at nine o'clock when the sun's up? Yeah. But you just one, you like being with other people, socialising a bit. It's just it ticks so many boxes from physical health to mental health, everyday feeling. Like it's just exercising just helps. Like yeah. And and people that say it doesn't, they probably haven't just taken the plunge and got into a bit of yeah. general exercise. Yeah. Some people just hate exercise, but. I guarantee them people that hate exercise still feel better in the morning if they have exercised yeah. than if they haven't. Yeah. 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 And there's just, there, there's just a threshold, I think, that you've got to, because there's always that resistance, like that same resistance that I felt towards running it in the beginning. I ended up just going and balling out on a pair of shoes that I could not wear for any other reason. They're like these brown Nikes with green and like they're fucking weird I got the bad. (laughs) Yeah, I could never, I would never actually wear these things. And it was like 350 bucks. I reckon I've got the exact same shoes as you. Are are they like a tan kind of color? I think the really fast Nike... Vapor, like the the Nike run shoes, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll send you a picture. Vapor flies or something they're called. Yeah, I'll see, yeah. I'll, I'll see if we're the same one. Yeah. But I was like, all right, I'm buying these because I'm not going to wear it for anything else. I'm going to like force myself into it because I was convinced. I'm like, my knees hurt from training, blah blah blah. Like I got all these excuses, yeah, not not to run. But yeah, there's like a certain threshold of times that you do. I guarantee anyone, no matter how unfit or like base level that you are. If you committed to running for two weeks, you would be a completely different running version of yourself yeah. at that at that two weeks. And like, and the other thing that stopped me as well, and this is what I struggle with, like with the jujitsu stuff, is that I've got you train, but then you don't want to be sore for moto. And I'm like, well, I'm doing yeah. world vets, and if I if I train on the night before I ride I'm going to be sore my grips will be sore blah 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 so yeah. like there's all these kind of excuses that you kind of build yeah. in but you've really only got to suffer through the first couple of weeks of it yeah and you that's come where out you on the other look. side you know yeah and that's where planning is like yeah okay you got your world's vets race you'll taper off your jiu-jitsu there but yeah okay I'm going to be 80% at motocross and jiu-jitsu that's for, what, for yeah. six weeks yeah. I'm going to Put myself on a bunch of load, be really fatigued, probably have the shits at home, be tired a lot, yeah. and then I'll Complain. wean my way. Yeah, and then I'll just wean my way off that. At some point, 
the greater the fatigue, the greater the fitness, I guess, the greater yeah, the form. Yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, it's like a, as an old saying, but yeah, you just, I'm, I'm the same because I, I love cycling and I love motorbike riding and I race the superbike and when there's a push bike and a motorbike race coming up, it's like, oh, I want to be good at both, but you can't. Like, you just got to pick and choose your events and then, yeah, sometimes you just got to be under a bit of fatigue in yeah. both of them, really, yeah. in order to be greater than greater than later, yeah. or at your best, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your, what's like a week of training look like for you? Well, or an ideal week? Yeah. Like so paint your perfect week of training. These days, with kids, it's a lot different, but like for years and years, it was just literally cycling every day. Yeah. If it wasn't a, like, and some days it'd be like, 20 or 30k down the beach and i mean like i could have been on the beach cruiser just a, a full recovery ride but yeah a lot of hard rides i'd, I'd do like 15 hours a week at, at least on the push bike and then i i would do home gym two or three times a week and then i just live an active active lifestyle I'd be on the motorbike a fair bit not not that much i'd i'd always i used to be really cautious with the motocross and like do it a few months of it and then I'd taper off it and sort of with injuries and stuff like that but then I yeah as I've got older I've realized that you can get injured you know whenever you ride it once a week or five times a week but yeah but yeah now now it's like just go and ride the dirt bike when I can and 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 ride the push bike when I can but pretty much everything I do is with a purpose like yeah like the other day when I, I crashed at the at QMP, yeah. I went there with a with an idea of doing a twenty minute warm up and a couple of twenty minute motos with some you know two laps on uh, three laps on one lap off kind of over uh, put the cycling philosophy and like do over unders oh yeah yeah try and add a bit of intensity in but and then then do another one where I did three times eight and and two minutes off and make it a thirty minute moto and just try and have some structure so it feels like there's some purpose yeah because I feel like when I get home after that. Okay, I've yeah, I've achieved. I've I've trained today. I didn't just go and ride my motorbike around a track for a random amount of time. Yeah, and then or if I get in the push bike, I'll be, you know, if you're stuck for time with the kids, get on the trainer and just do warm up five by five. So five minute max effort. A lot of interval, basically a lot of interval stuff really. Yeah, but I've focused all my training on having a really good aerobic capacity. Yeah. So so not not a lot of strength work. Like I'm a pretty tall guy. Weight's an issue with road bikes because I'm tall. I stay as lean as possible, and um, I've always had a strong core and a good aerobic base. But I've never been a brutally strong athlete, as in yeah. lifting. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you probably just don't really need to be. You don't need to be, and I and I I, I mean I, I shouldn't say that because I've never been brutally strong. But yeah, I've I've been I've been in the gym with with other riders, and you know they can lift two and a half times that I can. Um, they also get arm pump just like I do as well and they get tired if they yeah. override in the start of the moto so I think if you've got a strong core a good aerobic base and you're comfortable on a bike that's that's where people are strong look at Jet Lawrence like he he's a young he's still young like essentially in the big scheme of things he's still going to grow as a as an athlete and a human but he's he's not a massive strong lad and like but he he looks so strong on that bike well i think i think with him you said core like that's i think that's probably the thing that I've, i'm gonna really try and work on between now and world vets yeah because you look at jet when he rides his posture yeah his posture never changes like even how fucking back his neck yeah. is you know like he's just 
in in a perfect rectangle yeah. at all times. And I feel like that's just got to be such a huge advantage for him. Like, you can see it when he rides. He doesn't break posture. Yeah. Well, you look at your lower, say, you stand for 25 minutes with your lower back arched, holding some weights, your lower back's going to start to fatigue a lot. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, for him, he's, his lower back's not really... He's it, It's copying in other areas, but I, I think overall his body looks like it's in a very efficient position. Yeah. He's obviously got a lot of, I'd say he's pretty flexible by the way he rides. Like, you know, my lower back wouldn't get to that position. I, I can barely touch my toes. So yeah, yeah. Like for me to ride in that position, my hamstrings are going to be quite tight. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But the other thing is too, because he's the man at the moment, it's like, okay, we need to have a straight back. Straight yeah, back. It's yeah, like, yeah. Like, I'm not saying he does have a really good style and maybe that is the way he should ride a bike, but like, you know, 10 years ago, there someone there have been things that Carmichael done and before that and, you know, before and after that, we would have thought, oh, that's, that's how you got to do that. Yeah. Like, well, I think in, in motocross, we're like, we're entering the era of like being an athlete because I would say Jet is extremely athletic. Yeah, for And sure. like the way that, again, I'm basing that off like maintaining athletic posture during an extremely athletic activity yeah you know you can see other guys that are fucking you know getting thrown around fatiguing yeah. so i think like athlete like athleticism and technique yeah. and i think that that's why you're seeing him come into the 450 class and just obliterate yeah. everybody and i don't think that they're going to be able to then people aren't going to be able to bridge that gap like yeah. there's going to be like what maybe hayden deegan like maybe he's the guy that can yeah. can come along after a few years in the 250 class jet's going to be a little bit old like maybe he's the dude that can do it but i just can't really see people being able to catch up to that like yeah. that it's years and years and years and years of foundational technical work that's allowed him and i think that it's at the exact right time where the 450s are as gnarly as they are too you yeah. know like on it and you you can see on a 250 the difference wasn't as drastic like there's people that could beat him on a 250 because there's like a way that like you can max one of those bikes out essentially yeah like no one's maxing out a 450 and then you get the tracks that get as rough as they do and there's only a certain speed that you can ride it's like everything has funneled into no one beating him for a fucking long time yeah i agree and i was like i don't want to speak about how good the next guys will be but definitely right now speaking of just jet and not saying he's gonna dominate forever but like just the way he is it's like i've sort of been waiting for an athlete like that like there's always flaws. They're the super talented and they don't work or, you know, yeah. they work really hard but they lack a bit of raw speed or yeah. like they got a big mouth on them. Or, you know, this, this kid's like, he's just dealing with that pressure but also looking like he's having fun. It's like where there's no, like, what's the when, when, when you're racing against him right now, okay, how can we get under his skin and what, what can we do to put him off his game? Well, he's a pretty cool kid like it's hard to know what what's going to put him out like i can get running to the side of him and he would he would not care he'd keep riding you could heckle him like crazy he'd laugh it off he doesn't seem to yeah you can't rattle him it'd be hard to rattle him like yeah it's kind of it's pretty impressive really like to see how sort of comfortable he is just to be yeah 
essentially on for a perfect year and not even really flinch at it. Like, well, dude, so... I shouldn't say that so early, but yeah. Well, it, the, hey, you got to say it, but he just looks that good. Yeah, well, I was talking to Danny Rick after it, after Parlour, and I'm like, all right, what do you think? And his take, is, I, I love his take because he's such a super fan yeah. of the sport. He never misses a moto. But he comes from, like, the most high-pressure... Pressure cooker, yeah. ...cutthroat, like, he knows pressure yeah. better than maybe 99.9% of athletes that have ever existed. You know, exactly. Like, even my wife, she was, Jack got fifth doing in F2 on the weekend, and she's like, oh, fifth's awesome. And I'm like, fifth fucking sucks. You know why fifth <laughs> sucks? Because there's only 20 spots in F1. Mm. So if you got fifth in F2, yeah. like the no, we're yeah. not we're not even hit, we're not even in the same conversation. Yeah. So that's like the gnarliness that that dude has had to deal with. Yeah. And what he said about Jet was, bro, to handle that pressure at 19, yeah. he goes, that's hectic. Yeah. Race so, two at Parlour was like that was that was pressure yeah like that that's your teammate for one yeah like, yeah it's just and he didn't even look like he just looked like he will never know but could he have gone five seconds that faster not that much but you know could he have gone faster probably yeah but he just looked like he controlled it so easily like yeah dude the the thing that i i say that that moto to a parlor is way more high level than maybe most people would give him credit for, right? Like, so you've got this beat to sheer track, gone. Yeah. There's a certain speed that you could go on that, that the track would give you. And I think that's probably maybe a similar situation in road racing where there's like, there's only so much grip when yeah. it comes to temp, tire temp, like track temp. Yeah. There's, there's like very, there's like a window, you know, like you could see it at, um, uh, was it Jerez this year where like there was some practice sessions yeah. where the times were just getting pumped yeah. because it was on you yeah. know the tyres were up the track was gripped up everything was right so Parla Moto2 was one of those conditions where it's like you've just only got so much yeah. speed and so what does Jet do just rides every inside yeah, does it to the speed that's comfortable for the track to do it and he just knows that Sexton can't touch him. Yeah. He's like, if I stay this speed and ride these inside lines, it's going to force Chase to go outside, which because you're riding a longer distance, you need to ride faster. Yeah. But you can't ride faster because this is how fast the track... <laughs> so he yeah. literally just dictated yeah. how that race went down at 19 in the second moto yeah. of your 450 debut to go 1-1. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, it was so impressive. It's like just... And yeah, because the track, there was so easy to make a mistake in that track. It looked quite slick, really. Like if it, it just there were so many things that could go wrong. Yeah. And then you can't say. I know people say, "Oh, that guy doesn't feel nerves," but everyone feels nerves. And that yeah. guy, he's been waiting for that that race for a long time. When when he seen Sexton was behind him, I'm telling you, he was definitely nervous. Yeah. So yeah. like the fact that the nerves are probably at an all time high, and he just looks like he's out on a trail ride. It didn't even, there was no urgency. Like, he just done his job, which is what you do when you're five years, champ, five times champion and, and a veteran in the sport. And he just sort of done it. It's like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I wonder if there's, if we have like a new problem though, when it comes to Jet. Like, <laughs> is it good for the sport for him to be this good? 
Like, yeah. does it create a... Do, do we now have a problem? Yeah. But then you never know, do you? Like, that's why I don't like talking about the up-and-comers and you just never know what's around the corner. Like, you know, in we didn't... when Before Jet was coming, you know, we thought the current crop was the best and then now Jet's here and then all of a sudden someone will be doing something and you'll say, oh, this guy's amazing. Yeah. So... I don't think we're going to see like I think Jet's definitely as long as he wants to be the man, doing it, the man yeah. he's probably going to be the man but yeah. like yeah it's just crazy it's just crazy how fast they're going really and it's not until you when you're riding a dirt bike you, you realise that like I bet you I bet you you rocked up the QMP last week thinking after watching Jet you're like I'm going to be faster today I rocked up thinking oh, I'm going to be so much faster I'm going to stand up everywhere my back's going to be so straight I'm going to just jump over every braking bump then all of a sudden I'm frisbeeing through the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cartwheel yeah. on first lap. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's, uh, yeah. I wonder what it's going to be like for that. Because even like Roan's come in and he's like, oh, did you watch the motocross? I'm like, yeah, watch every motor. He's like, oh, I didn't bother watching it. Like, <laughs> yeah, he smoked <laughs> round two. Yeah. And he's just like, well, I already know what's going to happen. So yeah. fucking what's, what's the point? Yeah. But I, I feel like I was watching, um, I was watching the Deegan's video from Parlour. Yeah. And because obviously it's just like, it's all footage of Hayden riding. Yeah. Because I've watched him from like a, after Jet's performance, I was like, okay, I want to watch Hayden like I watched Jet. Yeah. And just to like, how good's the technique? How good is, because even like the press day footage from Parlour, all that press day stuff was coming out. Yeah. And like, so good. you hear the way, like, the bike is just like in the fucking meat. Yeah, singing every, t- but it's not revving. Yeah, and it's not lugging. Yeah, it's just, it's right yeah. there. You start questioning: Is my bike the same as that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even you know, yeah, like uh, Cody Cooper is yeah. the perfect. He's another one where he just he gets something like out of his bike that's so different. Yeah. But I was like, man, I've never even heard anyone ride a 450 like that yeah. and i think it's harder to tell in this era of with like the four stroke era like mm. two strokes it's just if the thing's singing the whole time like yeah. it's pretty easy to kind of tell yeah. whereas with the four four well, 450s especially but like you could like hear it but i went back and i was like All right, i'm gonna watch hayden with these eyes like yeah. look for these things and i mean technically he's doing some yeah. super cool shit on that bike as well and you know, yeah. so I'm like, I don't know. I'm just praying that Hayden can be like yeah. Jet, you know. And it's yeah. like he's probably a year behind Jet, but it's like let's say give him three years, yeah. Jet'll be twenty two. Yeah, still super. <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah, but I think I think we've spoken about this at the track that Hayden Hayden Deegan's got like a higher threshold of pressure, a yeah. pressure threshold. Yeah, he's just been born into a family that just do high pressure stuff and stuff yeah. at a high higher media level and he's been around all that stuff like when you're a country kid and coming to AMA Supercross and Motocross and you get in a factory ride it's a huge deal yeah it's not saying it's not a big deal for him but it's just not any different to the way he's lived his whole life so his his threshold pressure threshold is just naturally high yeah so that's one thing he's going to have He's just got to work on speed and consistency because he's probably going to deal with the pressure better than most, I imagine. Yeah. That's the way it feels anyway. He just isn't flustered by by anything. The, even the questions in the media, he's just, he's pretty cool and calm and yeah, it's pretty funny actually. We've got a pretty good few years ahead of us with them two racing each other. Oh, definitely. It's like, uh, I'd say it, 
there's a difference between so like getting a whole shot on a motocross bike there's a certain there's a real big difference between hoping you can and knowing you can yeah like to have an expectation like a michael essie just he literally yeah. went to the line every single time expecting yeah. to get the whole shot and what did he do he got a lot of whole shots yeah and i think that yeah it's right what you're saying like hayden's grown up in such a crazy different it's like <laughs> obscure reference but it's like kylie jenner <laughs> exactly yeah. it's like you're the sister of kim kardashian of course you're gonna be famous of yeah. course you're gonna be a billionaire just like yeah. come up with some shit yeah that would sell and then you sell that thing and then you'll be rich exactly. like you'll be yeah. f- there's like a rite of passage or like a an expectation like you were a kid believing you could be a road racer and yeah. but not expecting yeah. like how different is it and i was saying to you the track the other day but exactly. i think it's like a it's like a cool thing that you give credit to brian and marissa is that they allowed that kid to believe in himself yeah, whatever he fully to do. Yeah. just bro you want to do this i'll fucking got you bro i'll build you that you want to do a backflip all right bro let's do it yeah. and it, people the other side of the coin would say like oh yeah they just love doing that shit for youtube no that's just a cool dad yeah that's like down to believe in his kid and yeah. be like hey man if you think you can do it i'll help you do it yeah and imagine growing up and being because like i didn't have that as a kid you yeah, know like and and it wasn't not that my dad's a fucking asshole but it's like that's not normal no like, it's not it's, normal that's right and that's it's, why he's the way he is yeah he's yeah. just grown up like that yeah. yeah so this crazy expectation yeah. of like this is who i will be and yeah. then all you've got to do then is just live it yeah. like walk it you know yeah. and there seems to be a lot of want in him so that's that's a bonus because it's you've got to want it at the end of the day it doesn't matter how talented or how good your parts are. If you don't want to be good, you won't quite be the extra bit. But he seems to really, really, really want to be good. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy for Australians to be uh, getting a, a second go, at a, a sort of a second Chad Reed, really. We'll probably might have two of them. Hunter's still, like, Hunter's winning the championship. He's, yeah. Jet, like, Jet ruins Chad. Chad will probably... I wonder if Ch- how Chad feels about it. It's probably a little bit of him that's a bit... He probably wanted to be the best Aussie dude forever. Yeah. But I feel like Jet ruins... He's going to, like, completely ruin that whole thing. As in, as in records and race yeah, wins? And yeah, he'll be the man he's, from Oz. He's definitely... Yeah. You just never know. But, yeah... I, I guess I, true. I definitely... He's definitely got potential to win a hell of a lot. Yeah. And then, yeah, guys like Chad... Same thing we spoke about it before. He was sort of the first guy over there doing it for Australians, and yeah, yeah, and he's created that pathway. It's, yes. It seems doable now. Yeah. So for that reason, you sort of can't take that away from him because. Well, I was going to say, like, like you, sh- there should be a better Chad Reed. Like it would actually yeah. be a shame. He's paved a way exactly for us to go over there. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you sort of. It's hard to compare. It's hard to compare. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun to compare yeah. Jet Lawrence and Chad Chad Reeve and like imagine them racing each other, but you sort of can't really. Like it's just so different. Yeah. Oh, crazy! Yeah. Like, and for Chad, you think about the differences. So yeah, I guess like not probably sounds bad to Chad to say that, but like it, he should his record should not stand. You know, like you would hope as an Australian exactly, that they would yeah. be better guys. You know. Yeah, for sure. But 
you think about all right let's compare chad and jet for a second what chad did was insanely special because he did it by himself yeah like literally just him and ellie packed up went to europe and did everything yeah completely on their own and you know jet dazzy emma hunter tate all of them yeah they all shipped their whole so it was like a whole team was dedicated to those two boys yeah chad doing it completely on his own yeah. is like unheard of yeah he's getting in the car and putting the nav man where he's got to go and he's working where he's gonna eat dinner and stay that weekend and tom tom's in german at that tom, point exactly yeah like yeah it's a it's definitely that's why like yeah you can't really just look at just the results can you because no. it's like it's it's the path he's created for the rest of australia all us australians really yeah over there but yeah but then but yeah you got to jet jet's just doing he's ticking all the boxes like yeah he's yeah and i think what you said before about the that the scary thing is like yeah he is the full package yeah and it's it's he's probably the most marketable dude we've ever had yeah as well like since mcgrath easily you know like he's already got like the donut franchise like he's a super good looking dude mm. like that's his only pathway to get in trouble yeah is that he's just too good looking yeah that's right <laughs> he's too hot for this sport bro. exactly yeah he'll end up bigger than the sport maybe but i we kind of almost need that like i think for i really feel like especially being in this for so long like doing like this particular doing the podcast for five years like yeah you've i've seen the growth like i've seen this year's especially in supercross felt like a bit of a level up like the broadcast the crowds yeah. the like even the views online there's so many before it was really just us posting shit like there was us and pulp mx and like we were the first ones to like really start posting every day about supercross no matter what yeah and it's like the sports now got to this point and we need a dude that's bigger than the sport yeah. to kind of like drag it in valentino did it for exactly you yeah. know for moto gp obviously f1's had their stars over the year that have done it but like david beckham you know not that he made soccer bigger but you know yeah, you kind of get mean, these yeah. guys that they're they like become bigger than the sport in a way yeah and i yeah. think that we're we're pretty ready for that now i reckon yeah that i mean that sports yeah like supercross is just so ready for it and yeah i think that and i think i it was a podcast the other day it might have been Adam Cincerilla or something yep. t- talking about um, like like paychecks and yep. and sign-ons and stuff like that needs to be it's sort of like a bit of a secret between motorcycle races like what job do you go to where they disclose their hourly rate or their salary it's like oh yeah, I'm on this much I'm on this much yeah it's like the sport kind of needs to hear that kind of stuff like oh yeah like he was saying Roxon signed a multi multi Honda deal worth X amount like that's never really reported on in supercross or like but it is big enough where they could yeah be reporting on that like and that's like because in basketball and and football it's always reported on yeah and it sort of just makes you think holy hell this sport's way bigger than i thought i completely agree and like you can watch a dude you cannot give a fuck about golf at all and then when you it's the last hole 
of the last all you go to a playoff yeah. and there's two dudes you don't need to know shit about golf if there's a but shit you know the line. <laughs> that there's a three foot part for yeah. 23 million dollars you go holy fuck and like if he drops that part yeah. your heart sinks yeah or like Knowing you get excited just and yeah. then if he misses that part you're like oh bro like you know you've never even seen 23 million dollars in your life exactly so people want to say like i get the one argument as like oh it's nobody else's business blah 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 i get that yeah but then also i think it's it does transcend the sport a little bit like Mm. if you know your wife goes like wow it's this race is worth like he just won a hundred fucking thousand dollars for this or like be open be upfront talk about like it gets that's the metric that's relatable yeah like racing supercross is not relatable for me but a hundred thousand dollars like i know what a hundred thousand dollars is like that to me is relatable yeah the average person will that doesn't know supercross will see it and see that it's worth that much money they must be good yeah i watched that yeah Well, well no one i think the other thing too is like so the counterfactual is you're at a bar with your mates supercross is on tv and then he asks you like oh what 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 did that guy make a year mm. and then you're like oh a couple hundred grand yeah you're like oh that's sports yeah. shit <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you, yeah. Know, you know yeah. what i mean yeah so it's just like this social proof whereas yeah. you know like you can say like oh i think there's rumored that Mercedes is uh, Ferrari is going to offer Hamilton seventy five million dollars to yeah. go to Ferrari, and it's just that's like crazy. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's crazy, and yeah. it's interesting in in that sense. You yeah, know? yeah. Anyone can relate to you know that that thing. You know. Yeah. So so how much money? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough, mate. Not <laughs> yeah, enough, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what's the what's the rest of the the year look looking like for you? You got the rest of the Superbike Championship. Yep, got the Super Superbike Championship, and I'll do the QMP National. Yeah, so and that's it. Stamped. That's it. Yeah, Done. I, I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't spoken about it like no like this really. This so anyway. yeah, no one listens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much in now. So um, but yeah, just I just want to try and win a championship again. Yeah. So all in for the all in as a Superbike rider. When was basically. the last? When was the last one you won? Eighteen. 18 okay so yeah. a couple of years between drinks yeah it's been close but yeah yeah i was one point off the year after and then the covid years i was yeah i was good enough to yeah. to challenge for it and then yeah last year i was terrible but i was i was fairly banged up last year so yeah last year was the first year in out of the whole time that i haven't been good enough to challenge for a championship so yeah that's something i can i can take from my my australian racing career but yeah try and win another championship and then i can i think only a few people have won three yeah in our in our country so maybe i've got a couple more year more of me i'm only young 36 so yeah try and keep pushing on and because the, the level's pretty high in yeah like in this the australian superbike championship like there's some really legit dudes that are racing that series now yeah i think so. i think it's pretty high and i think like jack's helped us there he's come back and he's brought some friends back and yeah couple of young guys have, have raced with as well that are that are on the way over, overseas and yeah i think the levels it's good enough to where if if you're a young kid and you're winning or challenging australian superbike races you can confidently go overseas and and be pretty competitive so yeah but um it's unfortunately at the moment all the young kids just they have to leave straight away you've sort of got no choice these days do you yeah you've got to be on the front foot and and into that european 
yeah. circle at a young age. Yeah. Man, I so much props to Harry Void, eh? Yeah. Like and what a good kid too. Dude, the be- the fucking coolest kid. Like what him and his family have gone through to yeah. to give him like that pathway. And what personally he's gone through with like injuries and yeah. crashes and yeah, he's I I hope so much that he uh he's one of the kids that makes it yeah me too yeah him and him and another kid center ages he was my teammate last year for a round yeah him and him and harry are racing together this year so i think i think them two are um like two really big talents for, we've got so yeah hopefully hopefully we've got the next australian jet lawrence of road really but yeah you just don't know yet it's like yeah i've stopped i've stopped trying to be a talent scout because i'm pretty terrible at that but i definitely think they're pretty good there's just so much shit that's got to go right isn't there you know like it and it's not it's like there's so much that's got to go right but there's also so much that like has to not go wrong exactly yeah. <laughs> you know so like you've got and they're different things yeah like just the the most average mundane shit has to go right for yeah. you to even you know get there like one injury at the wrong time like it's just you're on such a razor thin level at yeah. that um at that like to get to that level you know yeah that's right and also actually shout out to cruise madison he's uh can you go to cruise's instagram you know robbie madison's yeah. kid have you followed him on, on instagram i don't the the kid or robbie i the, follow robbie i think yeah so his his kid cruise his eldest kid yeah okay is um like going full road race and oh really he, he won a um yeah that's what he wants to do is it k-r-u-z i think yeah he uh he's racing like oh the ovales yeah dude so he won play that shit he fucking looks oh, good. I'm embarrassed too. I haven't seen this. Yeah, dude. He He's such a legend. Yeah, so he's doing some like yeah, Moto Moto America stuff. Okay. But I think he won his <laughs> <laughs> So that, that that's cool. See what I'm talking about? Yeah. Kids yeah. are gonna see that like, oh yeah, I wanna be a road racer. Yeah, he's he's actually starting to make it cool. That's a shoey. <laughs> yeah, look at him go, yeah. dude. How good. What a fucking legend. So yeah, he's uh He's fully, yeah, so go to that post. We'll see what, what one it is. Uh, so this happened today. Won my first race in my first weekend ever racing at Moto oh, America. America. Yeah, uh, yeah, so it's on, on, on YouTube. But, yeah, so they went there like, oh, Robbie was telling me the story, but it was at my buck, so I was a little bit, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wasn't listening I wouldn't all the way. wouldn't expect you to remember that. No, I wasn't listening all the way. But, um, yeah, they basically like, they got a bike. That bike wasn't ready. So then they had to drive. They had like a box van, like yeah. kind of deal. Full racer dad's for the weekend. Drive to another place, pick up another bike. Cruz hadn't even rode it. Like yeah. didn't even know how to start it. And then I think he got like six in like the first one. And then he went out and, and won good. the next one. So he's like, they're fully, I think he like wants to. Yeah, road, road yeah, racer. Yeah, wants to do it. So That's cool. Yeah, hopefully there's some, some more young well, talent. It must be getting cooler for kids because his dad's as cool as it gets. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it is getting cooler though. Yeah. Like even for me, I want to watch the MotoGP more than, more than I ever have. Yeah, me too. You yeah. know, like I just think, I wonder what it is. I, I think there's just good characters. Like I, they're, they're making, they're putting an effort into, there's a lot of different characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, it is exciting. Everyone's, them guys are all different and they're sort of almost allowing them to be themselves real people yeah which there's a couple of years there where either they didn't believe they could be or that isn't how they want to be perceived or whatever but now you're seeing 
it seems like we see Jack Miller and and we see how they they really are. Yeah. So that makes it heaps heaps more fun to watch. Oh man, I couldn't agree more. And there was, I remember like years ago when Jack first did the podcast. Yeah. He was so or like the public perception of him was so different, and it was almost like people looked at it as a negative light that he yeah. was the character that he was. But in the last few years, that's just flipped completely. Yeah. And it's like they're celebrating yeah. his style. And it's like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think in the early years, it's easy to just say, oh, he's not He's not trying hard. Yeah. He's not trying. Yeah. It's like, yeah. But now he's, he's obviously proved he works hard. He's there doing it. He's on the best teams. Yeah. Oh, and he's still, he's actually just a normal bloke. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think uh, that level is so high in that championship as well. Yeah. That, like, we were talking about this the other day, at QOP, like, they just have to fucking send it. Oh, yeah. Like, there's zero, I would not be comfortable, obviously me, but, like, let's say I'm one of them. I'd be shitting myself every race. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, I don't know what, how long these tires are going to last and these motherfuckers are going to be sending it yeah. to the moon every single lap of every single race. Now they've got a sprint race where like you're yeah, supposed to send is, it. That is the most time. exciting race of the year. Insane. Like, eh? I love getting up early in the morning to watch that race. It's so good. But yeah, that, I think the bikes are just so good and they're yeah. just all, yeah, they're, they're so, that amount of downforce they've got now and like the amount of grip they've got, it's just all going good until it doesn't. I think, yeah. I, I imagine that the more downforce and the more grip you got, the less feel you might have, I would imagine. So the bikes aren't moving as much. Yeah. It's probably like riding a a cycling bike with a skinny tire on it. You don't know you're going to crash that bike till it's gone. Yeah. But if you yeah. ride a mountain bike, then they're moving all the time because yeah. they're soft and they're, they're big. That's, that's what I think it's like for them. The more downforce and the more grip they've got, the carbon brakes, all that kind of stuff, like it must just take a little bit of feel away because – it's all going right, and then all of a sudden, oh, he's down. It's yeah. like, oh no, what happened there? Yeah. And then they go and talk about it. They they don't know why they crashed half the time. Yeah, like it's it's yeah, it's such a cutthroat sport. Do you think that we should move more into like the arrow and that sort of stuff, or do you think we should kind of strip it back a little bit more? I don't think there should be arrow in MotoGP. Yeah, I I think that's a, a car thing. Yeah, and I think that motorcycles are made to move around and and um. Because it just opens up a whole new can of worms. Like that arrow, like there's no, they're not even close to the tip nah, of the like, arrow. Like, no, it's, it's going to go day crazy. One, yeah. yeah. So like, I don't know, take it out. Like, yeah, electronics and stuff. I'm, I'm happy with that because you still got to be a good motorbike rider to ride a bike with electronics. Yeah, it's, that lean like yeah. through turns and to carry that corner speed. There's no electronics that are doing that for you. Yeah, you've still got to be a good motorbike rider. But then when you throw in the arrow stuff, it's like that's going to bring the risk up a lot. And it's also going to make it hard to pass because I imagine the more area you got, the the less you want to follow. So the the closer, uh, the further away you have to be to get the downforce to turn the bike and yeah. all that kind of stuff is going to create racing that's not quite as close maybe. Yeah. That's that's just my personal opinion, but I, and I don't, I've never even sat on a GP bike, so I've got no right to even give my opinion. But yeah, that's just what I think watching it. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense. And like, when do you ever hear them talk about like, I oh, he doesn't want to be following, it's going to cook his tires. Yeah. Like, it's a, a little bit, yeah. but not now. Like, pretty much, that's why, like, Jack in the 
Yeah. He was a Jerez sprint race. Like he was like, I'm getting out front. Yeah. Like, has to be in the front. I can't sit behind with the aero that these bikes have cooking my front tire. Yeah. And it's like those variables, they're just, especially when you can't do, you can't do pit stops. You can't change tire. I think where the cars get away from it is you can force mandatory pit stops. You can yeah. force them to change compounds. You can, you know, give them the two on the same, you know, weekend strategy comes into play. But I think for the MotoGP stuff, like you're just sort of a sitting duck out there at a point, yeah. you know? And like, yeah, when the I don't know that that's where we want to go. No, you, you want, you want the racing to be close. That's, that's what motor racing, motorcycle racing is, is fun to watch because it's so close and you can touch bars and, and get away with it. And car racing it is it does have that aspect. It seems it's been that way for years, I guess, with the yeah the aero and the, the Formula One. Formula One racing is different to MotoGP. It's just different. Yeah. But yeah, it seems MotoGP is sort of going that way. As such, yeah, it's a big it's a big discussion. Really, it's a discussion from another time. Really, yeah, you're going yeah. for hours about it. Yeah. Do, yeah. Is the racing closer in World Superbike? Do you think? Not at the moment, but. You, you would think it, technically it should be yeah yeah because yeah, I'm thinking it's like kind of the opposite yeah it's the opposite it's World Superbike at the moment in my opinion they're they're struggling a little bit because it's it's really dominant um, to one team and who, then, who is dominant there about Alvaro Bautista yeah he's, okay he's I think he's lost I think he's only lost one race what's he on at the moment he's on a Ducati yeah and he's uh he's he's going real well um and he's saying that he there's other Ducatis out there, so yeah, he he's but he is doing really well. He's he's dominating. So yeah. Whereas GP, there's there's nothing like that. You Seems like no one wants to win a race. No, you you, you wouldn't want to be the guy doing the sports fed apps on MotoGP, would you? Dude, is there betting on sports? Yeah, like, there is. Fucking yeah. good luck. I, I used to dabble when it rains, but even you you just can't pick someone anymore. Yeah, true. Yeah. Eh? So stay clear of that. Yeah. Well, hey, mate. We'll uh. We'll wrap this thing up. Yeah. Stoked. Are you out at QMP on Thursday? Uh, no, I've got to go to Melbourne on Thursday. But Fuck. Yeah, I'm spewing. Cancel it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to cancel. I don't have anyone yeah. to ride with on Thursday. Maddie's at Fink. Yeah, okay. Got no other mates. Let's keep in touch for Thursdays because I, I need to lock it in most Thursdays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got to, got to get fit and fast. Sounds good, mate. <laughs> well, I'm excited for you. Thanks for making the time. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate you having me. It's yeah, been good. No, no. It's always, uh, always a good chat. So. Yeah. Thanks very much, mate. Take care, mate. Solid. Thanks, brother. Sorry for that. Sort your ear off. Nah, that's fucking awesome. That was perfect. Yeah. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro. Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.